This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. So the season starts July 24th for the Athletics against the Halos. At the Collie? At the Collie against hopefully Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Anthony Rendon, Joe Madden. Uh, Albert Pujols looking for history. A lot of a lot of good storylines for that Angels team this year. So looking forward to that. They're showing the national TV schedule for that first Saturday. Um, the A's are not on it. And then uh, then it looks like uh, for Sunday, it's if you want to watch baseball at one. Uh, this will be 10 a.m. here Sunday the 26th. Yankees Nats, and then Sunday night baseball is Braves Mets Giants Dodgers. That's the 23rd. Uh, no, that's the 20. That will be the 26th of July. The 23rd is 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 uh, Yankees, Nats, and then Giants, uh, Dodgers on opening night. Yes. So the 23rd is when the season is going to start. Yep, that'd be uh, Thursday. I got to tell you, it's it, 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 I miss it so much. It's got to get going, and I know I'm concerned about the health of the players, the skipper the coaches, but driving by the Coliseum today and just seeing it. I mean, you think of how many times we've all gone there. You know, whether it's A's games, Raider games, Warriors, just how many times we've been in the parking lot and we've tailgated and we've seen incredible, some of the greatest athletes to have ever lived. What what it will do for us, for the Bay Area, to give us something. Get us something to watch on a daily basis. That's what baseball provides. No other sport can provide that. Playing every day. Us waking up every single day, looking forward to watching the A's play baseball. To watch Chapman, to watch Olson, to watch Simeon, Loriano, Canna, Piscotti, on and on and on. And it's going to be a season like we've never seen before because every win is going to, it's going to be more than your standard win. 
and every loss is going to be a kick in the gut. I'm trying to I'm trying I'm, to watch. I'm following along because I have Sling, so I'm following along on my computer and I have my TV on. And Tom Verducci put out his uh, best matchups of the first like the first weekend. So the 23rd, he has uh, Nats, Nats Yankees. So Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. Then he has opening day on Friday, July 24th. Rockies Rangers, the debut of Globe Life Field in Texas in Arlington. And then the 26th of July, he has Angels A's. Why? Because it could be Shohei Otani's return to the mound. His last start was on September 2nd, 2018. So we're looking at almost two full years the last time we saw Otani on the mound for the Angels. It could happen the third game of the year against the A's in Oakland. It's the fourth straight year, by the way, that the Angels have to start the season in Oakland. Which is just incredible. The Angels every year, four years in a row now, have started in Oakland. Really? Yeah. I saw one of the Angels beat writers tweet it. Uh, four, yeah. Angels will open in Oakland for the fourth consecutive season. And they mentioned how it's going to be on ESPN that night, which is smart to put that game on ESPN. A lot of star power in that game. And then the other wow. matchups, the other best matchups, according to Verducci, in August, you got the uh, Dodgers-Angels, nine combined MVP awards, uh, Diamondbacks-Giants, Bumgarner's return to San Francisco, and then September 12th and 13th, Houston at L.A., the Astros visit the Dodgers in the 2017 World Series rematch. Normally, Diamondbacks-Giants uh, would not do much for me, but I will be interested in watching Madison Bumgarner return to San Francisco. We never got the true story that he claimed he was going to give us. I know. So it was such a it was such a great tease. We waited for months. And then we had Kerry Crowley on who was at the event. He was like, Yeah, he told us he's gonna he's gonna let us all know it's spring training. Then we brought Kerry on again to ask him and he goes, Yeah, he never told the story. It's like, oh he didn't pay off the tease. maybe he'll tell everyone on a Zoom call when he comes to San Francisco. You know, I, I if I'm to read the room You know, someday they're going to honor him and probably and, and I'll say this. There's no doubt the Giants do a really good job honoring their history. They do. And before they ever won those World Series. All right. If MLB pops on here, <laughs> full strength, everybody, you know, hold on. Clayton Kershaw coming down the ramp. Does he have anything left? They're running down the Philly schedule right now on my TV. So when we get to the A's, uh. I, I'll go oh, through it. Those guys are going to be. How do I get mute on? All right, there we go. So now I'm watching it too. Phillies 2020 series schedule. It's crazy. Three against the Marlins, two against the Yankees, two more against the Yankees, Blue Jays, Marlins. This, hopefully, for me, will give me what I've always wanted is to give me regional baseball. Redo the divisions, however you want to do them. I even got Ken Korak, who I know Ken hates it, but I even got Ken Korak to admit, why the, why the heck are the Astros and the Rangers in the same division with the Mariners and the A's and the Angels? Makes no sense. Makes no sense. Why are the Giants and A's not playing each other? Why are the Yankees and Mets not playing each other or the Cubs and the Chai Sox? On what side? South side. 
And then Dodgers, Angels. I mean, not being in the same division, what separates AT&T Park from the Coliseum? 13 whoa. miles? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oracle Park. Don't you dare disrespect Oracle that ballpark. Park. SBC Global. <laughs> Pack Bell. And the What's o- it, 13 miles? Yeah, how that you, sounds how, about right. How are you not in the same division? When you're 13 miles, it's National League American. I'm so tired of that. Everybody's going to have the DH now. You would be so – it would be to, – to have the, the A's and the Giants play 19 times and they hate each other, literally they don't get along. And if you think the Angels love the Dodgers or the Dodgers love the Angels, eh-eh. Southsiders or the Northsiders? Yankees, Mets. How about when the Yankees and Mets played in the World Series? They don't like each other. You're in the same town. You're fighting for all the same things. You don't like each other, and it makes for great theater. I can tell you what doesn't make for great theater, the Texas Rangers. And until the Houston Astros, you know, cheaters, who really cared about the Houston Astros? But if you're going to tell me the Dodgers are coming to town for for eight games and the Giants are coming to town for eight games, now you I mean, attendance would go up, less travel. Opening weekend games on MLB Network, Angels and the You know what's funny about saying that the Halos open up with the A's for the fourth straight year? That always seemed to be the Mariners back in the day. Yeah, I was going to say cuz I remember before like it always felt like it was well t- Technically, the A's started the season last year against the Mariners, and they did it what, in 2012, too, when they played in Japan. But it's it's interesting because I always felt like it was A's Mariners opening day. Now it's just A's Angels every year, which I'm not, I mean, I'm not mad that we get to see Mike Trout play every day on opening day. But four years in a row, I mean, change it up a little bit maybe. I mean, it, it would have been great because this year it, it, before COVID, it was supposed to be A's Twins, which would have been awesome. The home runs, it would have been, I, I, I don't care if the score is 13-12 in every game. If, if those two teams are in home runs, that would have been great TV, at least to me. Well, I, and, our, and our buddy Josh Donaldson, getting to see him. It's been a long time since I've seen him. We would have had him on the program. That's going to be another wild thing is, you know, we're not going to see, we're not going to see the Twins. We're not going to see the Yankees. We're not going to see the Rays. You know, I mean, Cody, that's going to be tough for you not to see your buddy Cashy. Oh, I saw him on TV yesterday, though. He had the mask on and everything. He's just so cool, man. Like, when we talked to him at the, at the winter meetings and then the seeing every interview he does, he's just he just oozes awesomeness to me. I, he's a great guy, good friend of ours. And, you know, our guy Ryan Stanek's all going with the Rays. He's, he's with the Marlins, so he's still in Florida. But Cashy is uh, – He's got a good head on his shoulders, and they they got a good leader down there in Tampa. A lot of expectations on that Rays team this year, and uh, we'll see if they live up to the hype that everyone's given them this season because there's a lot of it for them. Well, think about, you know, we're worried about getting the season in. Heck, we may not have a winter meet. We might we we might not have the winter meetings this year, and we're planning on going to that. I think it was in Dallas this year, if that if that if I yeah. correct. I think so. We would have we could have possibly went to Dallas and seen. Uh, I've never been to well, I've never been to Texas ever. 
Uh, except for when I'd lay over, besides when I'd lay over for flights, I've never actually been to Dallas or Houston or I've always wanted to go to the Riverwalk in San Antonio because I've always heard about that because of the Spurs, but never been there. I was looking forward to going to Dallas, but you know, you know, stranger things have happened. Maybe we still will get to go. All right, coming up next, hopefully we'll have more information on the athletic schedule. Susan Slesser from the San Francisco Chronicle has thrown out no games for the Dodgers in Oakland. I know this is so hard for people to swallow, and I don't know why. Everybody else's has changed. It's just, it makes so much sense. Like, I, I, I had to try and talk Ken Korak into it. He's such a traditionalist, he wouldn't buy it. He just humored me. But all the sports have changed. I can give you an example. Back in the day, a lot of you are 49er fans. The Falcons and the Saints were in the 49ers division in the NFC West. Why are two teams in different time zones in the same division? Makes makes no sense. I mean, I guess you have these long-time rivalries the way the Raiders have with, like, the Broncos and the Chiefs. But for the most part, that makes sense. Remember the Red Wings used to be in, in the uh, in the West? Makes no sense. They were really Detroit. good then. They were really good when they were in the West. They were a shark. To... Why, baby. God, they had so many good players. And then they – and then they... I remember when the Penguins won the Stanley Cup in 08. They were, that Detroit was – they were on a run of like 25 straight postseason appearances, and then it finally all came crashing down, and now they're like the worst team in hockey, which is so crazy to think. But you're right. They were in the West, and Detroit's not in the West. They're not dropping octopuses anymore on the on, on the ice. All right, so the point is geography. Geography makes for better baseball. And Brian Kenny and Jason Stark, when you're a writer in the Hall of Fame, what, what, what's your award? Uh, isn't that the is that the Spink Award? Let me I'm not a writer, so I don't know. Whatever the award is, Jason Stark's a Hall of Famer. Here yeah. is the, Brian the, Kenny. The, what is it? What? The J.G. Taylor Spink Award. So here is the Hall of Famer, Jason Stark, with Brian Kenny talking about Life's, life could be a change in where we don't have American League and National League anymore. Look, I think this is definitely on the drawing board. I, I don't think it happens until you, you get expansion. Once you get to 32 teams and then you can divide it up into eight, 14 divisions or there's lots of different ways to do it. Um, at that point, I think expansion would take place with geographical realignment in mind. And the result of that would be at least a blurring of what we now know to be the definition of the American League and National League. And potentially, I guess it's possible, you just wouldn't even have a National League and American League. I don't know if baseball's ready for anything that dramatic, but it's on the drawing board. It gets kicked around. Well, you remember, Jason, I mean, 20 years ago, it was seen as, like, sacrilege. You couldn't possibly. Now, even guys our age have to look at it and say, it really is something from 1903, and nobody is thinking, well, I'm an Al Kaline fan, I'm a Roberto Clemente fan, I'm a National League guy, I'm an American League guy. 
fans don't think that way anymore. Do we really need the two separate leagues? I, I didn't even plan to bring this up, but I bring it. Why? Like, why would we, why would we need it at this point? <laughs> well, the other linchpin is uh, Universal DH. If Universal DH is here to stay and both leagues are playing by the same rules, it's all about how much do you value tradition. Tradition's always meant more in baseball than in the other sports. It's a big force. Uh, you've got rivalries that you have to be careful about blowing up. But like I'm with you. At a certain point, it's cool to start reimagining what baseball can be. And part of that is reimagining what the leagues look like. Once you start doing away with the traditional alignments and traditional leagues, a lot of things are possible. Mm. Right? And so that's a big reason that this is within the conversation. It's not about just about tradition anymore. Okay, let's go over some change here. I had to school young Commander Cody today because he had a stat for me about Ty Cobb. Do, do, do you have that stat available? Yeah, I can pull it up again real quick. But it was something along the lines of from July of 1908 till about May of 1910, Ty Cobb um, never hit a ball out of the ballpark, but yet he led Major League Baseball in home runs with Ornette Span with 13. So Cody thought that was all inside the park home runs. And I said, no, back in the day, a ground rule double was considered a home run. So if you hit a ball on the warning track and it went into the stands, it's a home run. Also, what they considered a home run was a walk-off base hit. Guy on second, tie game, bottom of the ninth, Ty Cobb gets a base hit, guy comes around to score, considered a home run. Lots of things have changed. And young baseball fans, I don't even know if you know this, but back in the day, the National League and the American League had their own commissioners. Now, there was an overall commissioner, but there was someone who ran the National League and someone who ran the American League. They were different. Their teams were different. Their umpires, there were umpires who only umped in the American League and umpires only umped in the in National League. The game has completely evolved. And if you take the DH and everybody uses it, there's now truly no difference anymore. And now what you do is you start lining people up where it would be better for every team, better for television ratings, better for attendance. There just really is no buzz when certain teams come to town. And that's not that, that, that this won't change at all. But what it will do is create, and I, I, and I, I, I could look at from a New York standpoint, I could look from, I mean, throw Boston in there. I mean, when you really start putting, you know, geographic areas that don't like each other, Massachusetts and New York don't like each other. And there's somewhere divide in the middle of Connecticut. You're either looking north as a Red Sox fan or looking south as a Yankee fan. For us, NorCal versus so SoCal. You know, you finally have been able, if the Rangers ever get going and the Astros are still good, They'll finally have that mix. 
it might be just time to really think about, and that's fine, you know, because realignment could be happening during this collective bargaining agreement. Because this could be expansion time. I know I've heard in the past that they want to get Tampa and they want to get Oakland squared away, but maybe because of the heated deal, you you, you need negotiating chips because you gotta you, you're gonna want stuff, you gotta give stuff. Well, I got a negotiating chip right here that I know the players union wants. It may be the number one chip. That's expansion. That's more jobs. That's two more systems. But that's two more teams in the big leagues. How would the players union not want that? All the more minor league jobs. How would they not want that? But I got that in my back pocket, baby. My ace in the hole, as they like to say. Because there's going to be stuff the players' union wants. We want to get paid earlier. We want a certain piece of the pie. But remember, I got this chip back here with all these new jobs. And part of the negotiations may be, we talk about, because it takes a while to expand. I mean, if you remember back, you know, the first guy ever, do you know who the first Marlin ever to throw a pitch off the mound was? Commander Cody. First Marlin. I First like, Marlin. I feel like I know the answer to this question, but I, I, I'm i going to say I, I'm just going to not even venture a guess. I'll let you tell me. John Lynch. I was literally – that's who I was thinking in my head was John Lynch because I remember he got drafted by him. And I'm, that's Double who, A. That's who I was thinking was Lynch, but I, I don't want to be wrong. But I was thinking 49ers GM John Lynch. First starting pitcher – at the big league level was the knuckleballer, Charlie Huff, throwing the butterfly. But, yeah, so, I mean, remember when when the Yankees parted ways with Buck Showalter to go with Joe Torre? Buck Showalter was hired to start the, the Diamondbacks organization, which starts the minor leagues for a couple of years, and then you play big league baseball. So if you were to expand two teams, it's not like they're playing next year. Stadium's got to be built. Minor league has got to be built. And then you'd be able to add those teams years from now. Martin, how are you? What's up, Tony? Uh, good. Um, actually had a kind of unexpected day off today with the workouts being canceled. But um, doing well, man. Just hoping all this baseball stuff can stay together. So take us through what you're allowed to do, where you're allowed to go. Uh, what What is happening for the beat writers? Um, so it's pretty limited. I mean, all we can do is just basically show up to the ballpark and watch practices. Um, we can't go on the field. We can't go in the clubhouse. Uh, can't even go in the press box. We're actually working um, in the lower level of the Coliseum. They've set up a, kind of like an auxiliary press box down in the lower levels. Um, so not a lot of, a lot of, whole lot of access. Basically the, the most uh, interaction we get with Bob Melvin and the players are strictly through zoom calls. So um, we're just trying to make the best of it. You know, it's, um, it's tough on everybody. It's tough for the PR staff to uh, coordinate everything they're doing the best they can. They can. 
And it's like that all around the league. So um, it's just something that we're all trying to get adjusted to it, but um, I, we're still able to do our jobs. It's just um, maybe not at the, uh, not at the pace that we were, we were accustomed to doing, you know? Yeah. Cause I got to tell you, I was on vacation and came home today and we uh, passed the Coliseum on 880 and it was like, wow, it's really sad. Right. Cause, cause for us and our crew, we're not going to be going to the Coliseum. Just what, just how, just walk us through what it's like now when you show up and there's no fans and it's just, it, it, it's a whole different world. Yeah. It's a little weird. I mean, obviously you're, you're when, when I show up to the Coliseum, I'm usually there and uh, see all the security guards saying hi to them and uh, seeing all the, all the cars parking for, uh, you know, the fans that are waiting to get into the stadium. They're, they're waiting out there for hours and, you know, now you walk in there and it's a ghost town pretty much in that parking lot. You know, there's nothing there except for the, the people that need to be there, obviously. Um, the players park in their parking lot and they have media parking in, uh, I think, the A lot. So it's a little bit uh, further out from where we usually park. And um, you go through through security, um, you know, t- check your temperature before you get in. Um, and you have to wear a mask. So everyone's wearing a mask. So that's, that's a little... So it's a little a bit of a weird look. Obviously, you're not used to seeing that, but um, you know it's part of part of life now for the for however long we have to do that. So um, everything about it is different. It's, it's definitely not normal. It's definitely uh, doesn't feel normal. But um, again, like I said, just you know trying to make the best of it. So for you, are, are you going to travel, or will you do everything from from the Bay Area? Uh, we won't. I, as far as I know, I won't be traveling. Um, I don't know. I don't know how many. I, I'm sure a lot of riders won't be traveling either for road games. Um, I'll be doing home games here at the Coliseum, and I'll be, you know, around the summer camp as much as I can, and um, like all the home games. But no, no road games this year. Um, it's just mainly, you know, they looking out for our safety. You don't want us to be, you know, having to get on a plane or, or something like that. So. Um, you know, I'll be doing only home games and road games. I'll be covering them, um, but we'll be doing Zoom, Zoom calls um, post-game and pre-game and uh, writing off that. So since you've been at summer camp, are, are do the players have like brown bag lunches with orange slices and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? <laughs> um, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I've heard uh, they've, they've set up they've set up all the food in the, in the visiting clubhouse was, was what I heard. Uh, I'm not sure how that all works in terms of uh, – getting all getting everyone uh their lunches and all that i mean the, the players are coming in in staggered time so um you know i think there's plenty of plenty of room for them to spread out and, and not not get close to each other um in that situation but uh you know it's it's, it's different it's different for them too i mean you, you see players wearing masks you saw sean Manias talking about possibly wearing a mask during games which that would be interesting i mean we've seen mark canna wear a ski mask but uh, seeing a pitcher on the mound wear a mask i mean that's that's baseball in 2020 right there in a nutshell, kind of. So um, it'd be interesting. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a different vibe. Definitely something that is unique. I've never experienced something like it. Yeah. I, well, you know, I, I, I think the masks are, 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 are the norm now. So if, if we have players wearing masks, I don't think it's going to be that odd because that's just part of our life now. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, um, I mean, there's a way for them to kind of have fun with it and, and possibly, you know, make it a little bit more cool to wear the mask. You know, I mean, we we have the problem in the, you know, throughout the country right now, people don't want to wear masks. Maybe you see baseball players on the field wearing it. Maybe you're more 
you know, enticed to wear one. I don't know. I mean, that's just me thinking out there, but um, it would it would actually be, I think, kind of cool to see them, you know, wearing the mask and, and being safe and, and showing, it kind of shows, you know, hey, you know, you can, you can wear this and still uh, do your everyday activities. You know, you can run the bases, you know, throw pitches, you know, run in the outfield. Um, you can still do it all. So that'd be interesting to see. Where are we with the testing? Because obviously there's a reason why you have a day off today. It's because of the testing and lack thereof. Uh, where, where are we with that? What have you been able to find? Well, you know, I, it's, you know, at first, you know, everyone was wondering, well, you know, is this just the A's thing, you know, going on with the, the delayed testing? But then, you know, as the day went on yesterday, you saw a bunch of teams around the league were having the same issues. I think the Angels, the Astros. Um, I think the uh, Nationals, a lot of a lot of other teams, uh, also canceled their practice for today. Um, you know, the there was a delay with the holiday over the weekend with the testing. I believe, you know, the tests that were submitted on Friday um, still hadn't gotten back to a lot of teams. And again, apparently, you know, it's still they still haven't gotten back to the teams today. Um, last I last I heard, um, they were sent to somewhere in Utah, and then they were still stuck in Utah. And there was a lot of players. Um, I know a lot of players here for the A's are in the Bay Area, kind of just in a holding pattern right now, just kind of sitting around waiting for those results to get in so they can either get cleared or, you know, if they find out if they test positive, you hope that's not the case. But, um, you know, they're kind of sitting around waiting to see what the final verdict is. And, I mean, it's got to be an uneasy feeling for everybody. So, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what the issue is league-wide. Um, but, I mean, I'm hoping they, they can resolve this thing soon because, I mean, it's – Especially for the A's, it's already been bad enough. It's, you see other teams around the league, they're doing in, intra-squad games and all that, and the A's haven't even had a chance to do a full squad workout yet. They're still waiting for their position players to be cleared so they can get on the field with the pitchers and catchers. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of you, – you expect, you know, problems to arise throughout this thing. You knew, you knew it wasn't going to be a perfect process, and we're already seeing, you know, some, some roadblocks here early on. So if a guy does test positive, what happens? Well, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be allowed to go to the to the field, and they I believe they would have to be you know quarantined for you know about two weeks or so. I'm, I'm not I haven't fully uh, I'm not fully uh, into the the complete details of it, but I, I know they would have to quarantine. They wouldn't be able to show up to the field. Um, but you know it's 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 a tricky issue. I mean I mean who it's tough because they have to sit around for these results, and they're itching to get out there on the field. I mean to, it's a responsibility thing. You know you, you can't let you know, someone who, uh, you know, maybe doesn't have the result. You have to, you got to make sure everyone has their results in for sure. Um, because I mean, it could be catastrophic if some guy has it, doesn't realize that they go out there and, and practice with their teammates and all of a sudden this thing starts spreading. So it's a delicate situation. I mean, it's, it's a lot of patience involved. And I mean, when you have only three weeks to prepare for regular season, there's not going to be a lot of that. So it's, it's, it's tough to balance right now. How many players have you been able to actually talk to and like, just how excited are they to get going again? Well, I think a lot of them are itching to get back out there. Like, you know, when the quarantine first started, when, when spring training was canceled, a lot of guys stayed in Arizona. And then there's a lot of players, a lot of players from all around the Cactus League just stayed in Arizona and were practicing with each other. Um, you know, throwing, a lot of the pitchers were throwing uh, bullpen sessions. So I, I get the feeling that a lot of pitchers are, are ready to go right now, honestly. Um, they could probably, if game started, you know, tomorrow, they could probably go out there, the starters could go out there and go, you know, maybe maybe not, you know, a full 100 pitches, but I think they could go three, four solid innings right now. I think 
Um, pitchers are, are, for the most part, have been keeping their arm in good shape, maintaining their mechanics, and it sounds like they're, like they're they're ready to go. So it's it's going to be, I think, the position players, you know, getting their timing right at the plate. I think that's going to be the more, uh, you know, the the focus for for the shortened camp. You know, getting that up to speed, which is difficult with only three weeks. So um, I think the hit the the pitching is probably going to be ahead of the hitting a little bit here. I'm glad you said that because I've listened to some people who act like these players all went home and sat on the couch and were eating Doritos and drinking beer. and They're going to need weeks to get ready. These guys stay in such great shape. They've been throwing off mounds on their own. They've the hitters have been hitting. It's I, I think it's a little overblown. When people are like, I don't know if these guys can get ready. I like how you said it. A lot of these guys, if we started tomorrow, are ready to rock. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because it's not like, you know, it wasn't like they went into the off season where you know you're going to be off and you have that time to, you know, just, you know, sit around and go on vacation or something. At When the stoppage happened, a lot of people were thinking, you know, maybe it's going to last a couple of weeks and then we're going to start the season. So, I mean, guys had to stay in shape. Um, so, um guys found a way, you know, to say, I know Sean Mania was, you know, on days when he didn't have a catcher, he was thrown to his net, you know, in the backyard. So, I mean, everyone, everyone found a way to stay sharp. They knew, um, you know, they didn't know it was going to last three months without baseball, but they, they had a feeling, you know, at some point we're going to have to go back and start playing games and, you know, we don't want to be behind here. So I think, you know, with the A's specifically, a lot of pitchers uh, feel like they're ready to go now. And, and these three weeks will just be to build up their arms, build up their workload, but um, they they don't they won't need too much too much time I think to get to get out there and, and and ready and confident to throw in actual game situation. Well, one guy who's benefited this layoff, obviously AJ Puck, who got shut down in spring training. Uh, if if you have to look into your crystal ball, how many starts do you think Puck and Lazardo get here in these sixty games? Well, from talking to Bob Melvin, it sounds like they're going to be, you know, off the leash. They're going to be ready to go as many games as they can, as long as they can stay healthy. Um, maybe early on, as with all pitchers, you know, the, the pitch count might be, you know, a little limited, maybe only up to 75, 80 pitches in their first couple starts. But in terms of innings, you know, we were told that there's going to be no innings limit on either of those guys. As long as they're healthy, throwing the ball well, I mean, they could go the whole season and and, and not have any limitations, which would be, I mean, great news for the A's. I mean, you talk about a rotation one through five expected to be the strength of the ball, one of the strengths of the ball clubs. Um, you get a full full workload out of Luzardo and Puck. Um, you know, you could be one of the best teams in baseball with that rotation. And you, and you go into the playoffs all of a sudden, you know, not fearing that one game playoff if you have to go to that again because you have plenty of options there to start that game that you feel really confident about if you got Luzardo and Puck, you know, ready to go for a for – a, complete start not just out of the bullpen like like last year yeah i mean you know this west is going to be interesting you know you got the astros you got the dodgers we're going to find out today at three o'clock uh what the schedule is going to look like but when you look at firepower i mean you can argue the a's have as much firepower offensively defensively and on the mound as anybody in baseball yeah yeah no i think um i mean i i certainly expect the i Everyone has high expectations in that clubhouse. I know, you know, we as the media have high expectations for them. And I mean, as long as they stay healthy, I don't see why they why they wouldn't be a, a contender to to get to the World Series. I mean, they they really don't have a lot of holes on this team. I mean, when your your biggest question mark is 
you know, who, what's going to happen at second base? You know, is it going to be a platoon? Well, that's the biggest question you have to ask. I mean, your team, you know, that team is pretty, pretty uh, okay. They're pretty, they're doing pretty well for themselves. So um, it's all about staying healthy for these guys. If they can all stay, you know, in in shape and, and healthy throughout this, these next three weeks of the summer camp, if they come out of that injury free and start the regular season with all their regulars in the lineup and in the rotation, um, you know, I don't, I think they can get off to a fast start here. I mean, it, you know, we always talk about the A's, you know, being a second half team, but they've never had a, you know, a team, you know, at the beginning be, you know, fully set without question marks. It's always been, you know, maybe, you know, they might need to add a pitcher or two here or a bat at the trade deadline. You look at this team, you don't need to add anything. You don't, you don't have to wait for the, for the uh, trade deadline to come. You know, they've got all their, all their holes filled out. You know, they, they, they don't have any going to spring training. So, I mean, you can see them start off to a fast start, I think, if everyone stays healthy. Were you shocked they traded Jorge Mateo to the Padres? Um, no, I mean, you know, he was obviously, you know, top 10 prospect for them. He had a great year last year. But, I mean, you look at where he fits into this roster. I mean, he, if if everything was, was the same and we never had the stoppage, there was a chance he was not going to make the team at all and they wouldn't have gotten anything for him because he was kind of that last guy on the bubble with female machine um, to be that, that, fi- that final 26 man on the roster as a utility guy. I mean, he wasn't going to take the second base job from Kemper Barreto and, you know, he wasn't going to get shortstop away from Simeon. So, I mean, his best shot to make the team was going to be as utility guy. And, you know, with rosters temporarily expanded to 30 to begin this season, he, he would have made the team, you know, he would have been a great candidate for that, you know, that guy who leads off the extra innings at second base as a pinch runner. But eventually as rosters were trimmed, they were going to have to make a decision there. And I don't know how much playing time Mateo was going to get to kind of keep that spot. Um, so, I mean, at least they were able to get something for him. Um, you know, they've got other guys who, who still they're going to have to make a, a decision with at, at that second base spot, you know, a lot of middle infielders on this team already. So, I mean, at least they were able to get a player to be named later. We'll see who that is later on in the season, I guess. Because um, there was a chance that they were going to get nothing for him. They were going to have to put him on waivers if he didn't make the team out of, out of spring training. Um, and, and for sure, a team would have snatched him up, I think, you know, um, off waivers. So at least in this case, they get something out of him. And, you know, maybe he goes to San Diego and he flourishes there. But, um, you know, who knows? Um, you know, you never know with, with, with those type of guys. He's got a lot of speed, but still, I've you know, a lot of question marks, a lot of strikeouts. Um, still don't know what he can do at the major league level. Maybe the Padres will give him more of a shot there. And let's end on this. It's just so important that whatever we call taxi squad or whatever we call this group, it's so important that your young top prospects play and get some experience because you do not want to have your top young kids sit out basically an entire year. How important is it to get them, whether it's Stockton, wherever they are, get them playing so they continue to get better as young ball players. Yeah, it's really important. I mean, that's why you saw them add, you know, the teenagers like Robert Poisson and, and uh, they added Tyler Soderstrom to that group as well. They want these guys to get, you know, experience, um, whether it be with fellow major leaguers or, or minor leaguers, whatever they can get, you know, that it's a nice group that they've put together. Um, they still need to find a site for that that alternate site. Um, they were they're still trying to get stocked and locked down, but they don't they don't have an official place for them yet. So they're all kind of waiting around right now. But um, once they get going there, they'll play those intra squad games and you know be 
uh, under the watch of, you know, team officials. They've got some, they'll have some, you know, coaches, minor league coaches working with them over there to keep them sharp. But yeah, it's definitely important. I mean, you don't, you don't want to lose a full season with them not doing anything. I mean, they can work out at home and I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, these guys are, you know, top prospects for a reason. They're working nonstop, but um, to have them, you know, under the organization's watch, I mean, it's, it's going to be a benefit for all of them. So um, you want to get those guys, you know, some work in a, in an environment where you can keep a good eye on them. Good stuff. We appreciate it. We'll be following you on Twitter and MLB.com and, uh, you know, seeing how this thing uh, progresses and we'll have you on again soon. So keep up the good work, be safe, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Tony. See you, man. Buster, obviously your podcast is second to none. We like to say here on Ace Cast, we have the number one podcast for all Major League Baseball teams, but there's no doubt your podcast is number one in all of Major League Baseball and the great work you do on ESPN.com. We always appreciate the time. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the kind words. You know, it's funny that recently my wife got me these 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 Sony AirPods that are that are waterproof, so I can swim. So I download your podcast and I listen to it as I swim laps because you know swimming laps, Buster, especially in, in quarantine times, it's just great to be in the pool. But after a while, it just gets boring going up and down the pool. But listening to you, with, uh, whether it's Timbo or Sarah Langs or Tim Kirchin, you're helping me with my laps. Well, I appreciate that. I think we're all trying to figure out how to get through, right? Uh, for me, it's audiobooks, uh, cooking, and my goodness, my lawn looks better than it ever has. Uh, I figure out ways to deal with this, but thank you. Well, yeah, you actually, you've talked about on the podcast, like you need to get new cooking wear because you're cooking so much. I am. I've made my 20 year old daughter, I think, went into this whole thing with a, a lot of trepidation. Uh, and now she's actually, you know, texting me in the morning. She says, Dad, can you make me some, some of your eggs? Can you make me some of your potatoes I made a dinner for last night? Now, I haven't drawn my 16-year-old away from his pizza. Uh, but you know what? you got to take them one, one, uh, one at a time. You know, I, I, this weekend I actually took a vacation and kind of got away from it. And I think it's important for everybody to unplug. But now that I've plugged back in and I got home today uh, from vacation, a lot of weird stuff going on. I'm reading about testing and we don't have the test back yet. And I know like for the A's, position players didn't show up, uh, canceled practices for like the Nationals and the Astros. Where are we right now with Major League Baseball and the testing? A lot of uh, chaos and a lot of concern. Look, yesterday I, I was sitting in on the, the Zoom call for someone you know, well, Sean Doolittle, Do uh, of course, pitched with the A's for a long time. And the thing that really jumped out to me, uh, something he said along the way, a lot of great things to say, but along the way he talked about how tired he was. Like it was exhausting, you know. I mean, baseball, you know, typically is something with the players. It's very relaxed. They kind of amble into the clubhouse, uh, you know, say hi to their guys, go grab some breakfast, and they go out, they work out for a few hours, and then they go play golf. And now, when you think about how different this world is, even though they're back, you know, theoretically preparing for the possibility of a season, now they go to the, you know, the ball, go to the ballpark, and they got to do the testing uh, on those given days. Uh, everyone is attuned to the latest news, which player has dropped out. Like today, Nick Markakis, the Atlanta Braves, uh, you know, after talking with Freddie Freeman, who's ill, 
uh, decided that he was going to drop out. Um, and everyone wondering if this is going to work. And the fact that, you know, the first weekend after players return to their teams, we immediately get word that, you know, that the, the teams are not able to get the, the testing results as prescribed in the health and safety protocol. It's absolutely turned this thing uh, upside down. I don't think there's a lot of time for baseball to get it right but they have to get it right, I think, before the players feel comfortable. David Ross of the Cubs, uh, their manager, spoke about that today. You know, you mentioned it uh, a ton of times. It's like a rowboat in a hurricane. A hundred percent. And they're completely at the mercy of, you know, these circumstances around them. What's going on with the municipalities? What's going on uh, with the states? And the fact is, is that attempting to... You know, to start now, as I said on the podcast, it's like dropping a sailboat into the water right when the hurricane appears because, and this is just bad luck, there's nobody to blame for this, um, but uh, the fact is is that as baseball comes back, it's when the coronavirus numbers are spiking in so many critical states for baseball, Florida, Texas, Arizona, um, California. I, I don't know the percentage of players, uh, U.S.-born players who live in those states, but it's got to be enormous. Uh, and for those states in particular to be going through this, and uh, I think it's uh, fueled the anxiety level. And, and, you know, it will be interesting to see what kind of reaction we get. Chris Bryant of the Cubs, you know, talked today about, uh, you know, the reason why he decided he was going to come back this year was because, you know, baseball, uh, you know, was something that he enjoys. And he, he said flat out that, you know, this right now, the way it's going right now, it's not something that you enjoy. I, I think that. You know, it's not the entire reason why some other players have dropped out, but I think that's part of it. Like Sean Doolittle said, being a baseball player right now, it's absolutely exhausting. You know, a, a connection with the Padres told me about how they didn't allow uh, a lot of their players to leave the country. You know, players born in, like, the Dominican Republic, they kept them in Arizona because the fear was that if they went back home, it would be tough to get them back. And I'm just wondering, like, how many teams are you talking about? Because we're seeing a lot of these, they still want these young players who are not going to play in the big leagues this year, but they still want them to play. They don't want them to take a year off. How tough is it for some teams getting foreign-born players back into the country right now? It's been a big issue. Um, and I am i can't talk about which team specifically, but what I, another part of the concern here is that different teams are treating the health and safety protocol differently. I've heard about uh, individual teams that have, um, you know, as a player comes back into the country, they've followed the, the, the protocol to the letter. And other teams, on the other hand, are just like telling players to go back out on the field before they get absolute clearance based on the protocol. But that, I think it really reflects one of the many weaknesses in the system. You know, over the weekend, uh, I had one official refer to it as Swiss cheese. Um, and it really does mirror what's going on in the country. You know, guys who are running baseball ops, you know, Brian Cashman of the Yankees and Billy Bean uh, of the Athletics and uh, Andrew Friedman of the Dodgers, you know, their expertise is in baseball. And yet because of the current circumstance, they're essentially become COVID governors. And there's not any precedent for this. There's no training for this. And again, this is not to to, to place any blame or, Anything. It's just a. It's an. It's a situation for which there's been no training, uh, no real preparation. They kind of scrambled after 
you know, determining that they were going to have a 60-game season. And now uh, I think we're seeing some of the results of that, whether it's, uh, you know, not having uh, testers show up at the ballpark, not getting test results quickly enough, or different teams handling the protocol differently. It, it's exactly what's going on with the 50 states in the country. You're as connected as anybody. When you talk to these front office officials, how do they really feel about this season? Do they really believe we are going to have a season? And I feel like a, a weatherman who's kind of set, uh, you know, instruments in different parts of his property, right? Because you want to get all the different readings. I, I actually <laughs> reached out about a week ago to different people and said, look, I, I really – I, I, I'm calling you up, and I'm not going to quote you, but I really, uh, on the record, I just want to know how you're feeling about things. The vast majority are deeply concerned. Uh, in fact, I yesterday in, in talking to the only optimistic person I spoke to, uh, you know, I, I mentioned to him, I said, look, you're the only one who thinks this is a better than 50-50 chance to work. I've had people say 0% chance, uh, this is a false hustle, I mentioned the Swiss cheese. I'll clean up the verbiage. One said it's a crap show uh, in terms of how it's being put together. And this one executive said, you know, where we are, all is good. And I mentioned to him the, the pessimism in the other places. And he said, I got to tell you, you know, while I'm feeling good about us, we're only as good as our weakest link. And that, that's a, a major concern for baseball. As they say, they're going to need to get this cleaned up very quickly, like maybe within the next 72 hours, because I do think, as we've seen with some of the responses uh, from players like Nick Markakis, they, they run the risk of having veteran players begin to walk out of camps. You know, I got to think, if baseball can't go, how does the NBA, how does the NHL, and even the NFL, I mean, the NFL is acting like it's full go, even though they finally canceled two preseason games, which – you know, they've wanted to act like, oh, we're going to have fans in the stands and it's going to be business as usual. If baseball can't get it going, doesn't that mean the other sports? How, how do they get it going? Well, and Chris, I think you can extend that question to, to things out of the sports world. You know, we got word today that Harvard is going to do only online classes for 2020, 2021. Uh, and some other schools also followed with a change in people uh, – you know, attending in person, I do think, and I, you know, living here in New York, uh, there was an announcement just the other day that Broadway will not return until 2021 at the earliest. I think a lot of people are pushing back their calendars. I know there's some baseball executives who really feel like, look, it's not really going to be back to a sense of normalcy until we get a vaccine. Until then, um, you're going to have these conversations about how to keep players uh, safe. And let's face it, anybody who's been paying attention to the news knows, you know, there's been mixed messages. There's been changing messages about how people are to be kept safe. We heard early on, you know, that masks uh, were something that they didn't want you to wear, that leave those for the professionals. And then, uh, of course, now there's a big push. And I, again, living here in New York, I've been wearing a mask for three months and now other states are adopting. I think all of that has led to the uncertainty of the players, uh, because, as I, you know, I've heard from baseball officials. <clears throat> that their clubhouse is uh, a cross-section, you'd see the same sort of reactions you get across the country. Some people take it very seriously. They come from states, players do, where you know they wear masks, they take the social distance serious, uh, more seriously. And other teams, players are like, you know, what's the big deal? It's not that big of a deal. 
You know, Buster, it's uh, it, it's it's just crazy. I mean, I was I, I did the East Coast trip with the family, where we went to the White House in, in the Capitol building. We did all of D.C. and then we went to Philly and Li- Liberty Hall, uh, Independence Hall, and Liberty Bell. And then, I mean, speaking of Broadway, we were in New York and we took my kids to Hamilton and Wicked. And just to think, that was late February, and where wow. we are today, I never thought that I would see anything worse than 9-11 in my career with baseball. And that's, uh, you know, Barry Bonds at the time was going for the home run record. And that's what we were caught up here in the Bay Area. But this is the, I, I think it's going to be the same for you, the worst you've ever seen in your career. There's no doubt. Um, and I, you know, was covering the Yankees for the New York Times when 9-11 happened. And what I remember after that, and I'm sure you do too, was, how everybody really came together. You know, I had so many uh, – I, I remember the first game uh, that the Yankees played after 9-11. And the Yankees, let's face it, are baseball's Darth Vader. You know, historically, <laughs> they're the big market team that everyone, uh, you know, baseball fans like to hate. And I remember going to uh, – their first game after 9-11 was in Chicago against the White Sox. And people hold up signs uh, saying, I love America and the Yankees too. And the Yankees became – uh, darlings of the country that fall because people wanted good things to happen to New Yorkers who had just gone through 9-11 and, and everyone pulled together. You know, President Bush, who's a Republican, stands on a mound in a very Democrat state uh, and a huge standing ovation when he throws his strikes and everyone's pulling together. And on the other hand, now everyone just it just seems so fractured and the response seems so fractured um, and that includes in clubhouses, from from what I've been told by uh, teams that they have, they do have some players who are pushing back on this stuff, and I, I just worry that none of it is going to come together, has a chance of coming together, unless everyone's pulling the rope in the same direction. Let's end on this because I do want to ask you a baseball question. And looking at the AL West, uh, obviously for the A's, you know, the big question for us coming out of spring training was. How many innings and how many outings are you going to get out of our young, very, very talented staff? And Jesus Lazardo, A.J. Puck, Sean Manaya. And then the other part was the vitriol that was going to be uh, thrown at the Houston Astros. You know, they're going to start here, then go to Anaheim. Everybody was going to be all over them. Uh, you know, we, we uh, talked to Richard Justice. He said when he went to the Astros camp that they were already worn down. Uh, from from all the questions, they just they they looked haggard, and they hadn't even started the season yet. So this COVID layoff, it, it possibly could help the A's with their young starters, and could possibly help the Astros that they're not going to have the fans and the media all over them. I would agree with that. I think uh, you know both those things essentially could go away as factors. And you mentioned the Padres having a lot of young players. Uh, I think any team that has elite young starting pitching. You know, we don't have to worry about innings limits anymore uh, if, in fact, there's a 60-game season. You just roll them out there. And not only are you pitching, in the A's case, not only are you pitching them because they're among your most talented guys, but because you wanted to give them a chance to develop as well in this truncated season. So they're going to throw those guys out. I agree with you. I think that given everything that's gone on, um, the, the response to the Astros is going to be much more muted on the field. Yeah, I mean, in a given day, um, there might be a situation where it's 8 nothing in the sixth inning and you see some Astro get a, a fastball in the ribs, and then we'll all be wondering, was that a message? But I don't think it's going to be nearly the type of response that we were talking about uh, you know, back during the winter. 
Uh, I think for the for the Astros, the biggest question is going to be Justin Verlander coming back from groin surgery in March. Uh, you know, he's working off a mound, and and uh, you hear that he's making progress, but pitching in games, coming back from an injury, that's a difficulty. That's a difficult challenge. And let's face it, with the Astros having lost Garrett Cole already, and now questions about Verlander, you wonder where the starting pitching is going to be. It does absolutely feel like there's a window of opportunity for the Athletics in a 60-game season. Well, I can tell you, you know, the news every single day, it's, 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 tough, to, it's tough to take. And thank you for what you do with your podcast because it's a must listen to every single day not only to get me through swimming laps but just to give us something other than uh the news which is just every day is so tough and the fact that you're talking baseball every day you're giving us baseball it means a lot so thank you for everything that that you're doing right now because we as baseball fans truly need it well i appreciate it chris now i'm going to be thinking as i'm talking like i'm going to be geez i'm talking to chris townsend here as he's going on lap 45 (laughs) <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. We have Himbo on the program all the time. We have Sarah. I mean, we, you know, I've learned so much from your podcast that that we, that we bring it to our show. So I, I say it all the time. I steal from you all the time, and that's the best compliment I can give you. Absolutely. I appreciate that. You take care. Be safe. And hopefully the next time we talk, we're talking about baseball. You too. Fingers crossed. Great. Susan Slusser joins us from, I believe she's at summer camp. How are you, Susan? I missed you. I I know. I, I'm just leaving summer camp, in fact. Uh, I also hate calling it summer camp. That makes me think of campfires and, you know, sing-alongs and stuff, not baseball. Not, not PFPs. It's weird. Well, my, my first question is, like, when you enter the building, do they give you, like, a brown bag with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, chips, and, like, orange slices? <laughs> That would be so nice if they did. I do think we're getting box lunches once the season starts, if the season starts. Uh, so that'll be nice. Maybe that'll seem a little bit more like summer camp. Well, just take us through it. What's what, what's it like? Uh, it's different. You know, everybody gets their temperatures taken on their way in. You have to talk, find some forms, uh, you know, some, wa- some waivers, which that's always a little bit disconcerting. Uh, and besides that, you know, everybody has to wear a mask. And certainly in the media, I am seeing everybody wearing masks at all times, which is terrific. And we've got our own little, uh, we put a lot of thought into this. And I really appreciate that. Uh, I've heard some things from other uh, teams where they have writers in the press box, which is what you would normally expect, right? Um, but I've heard of social distance in the press box, it's indoors. The A's have put all the writing press outdoors. We're uh, along, people familiar with the Coliseum will know this, we're along the baseline uh, in the back of the lower level where there are tables and there are electrical outlets, there's Wi-Fi. We've each got our own little table. I feel as if I need somebody to be serving me cocktails during these sessions because I'm, I'm sitting right near a bar at a table. Um, so uh, I think I want to stay there once the actual, uh, like everything gets back to normal, right? And there's fans. I still want my little table, Chris. I got a great view. The weather's been perfect. It's, it's actually really nice. And we're outside, so we feel very safe. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, because, you know, when, when we were first talking about getting this going, I'm like, if there's any place that, that you can social distance, it's the Oakland Coliseum. You got plenty of seats and plenty of room. 
have you had to the players the skipper uh the coaches what's that been like uh well it's zoom they set up zoom calls every day and they've been very good about getting two players and, and bob melvin and if warranted david force for uh calls we're also at liberty to contact players on our own if we need them i talked to jake deakman before everybody got back to work because obviously he's a a guy who has extra levels of concern with all of this being at risk. So I talked to him last week and, you know, a lot of us had been talking to guys sort of regularly during the shutdown for various different stories. And I texted Jesus Lizardo yesterday because I, you know, had gotten information that he was positive. So we are not entirely at the whim of whoever's on the Zoom call. We can get guys on our own if they want to talk to us. And it's just, you know, Usually we're in the clubhouse, Chris, you know, and you can chit-chat with, you know, 30 guys if you want to before games. Obviously, you don't usually, but that's where a lot of, like, the fun little tidbits and different stuff comes up. That's the sort of thing that's probably going to be missing in coverage here during this stretch because you're just not going to be able to to talk to 15 or 20 guys a day. It's going to be two, essentially. Well, the best face covering in uh, all of sports right now uh, I, I'm just seeing it's now up on MLB.com uh, about the cattail last year of Mike Fires, and I know you put out on Twitter uh, how funny it was. When I saw that, I started the show. I saw that. I couldn't stop laughing. I, I, I was laughing to start the show because whoever thought of that was brilliant. Absolute genius. Yeah, that curly cute, curly cute beard thing. For when I first saw the photos, for a second I thought, oh, oh no, somebody else has grown one like that. And then, oh, thank goodness, it's just a mask. But uh, we, I mean, during quarantine, just in general, I mean, you know, you see friends and coworkers with crazy different facial hair. So I thought for a second there could be a chance that somebody had done that. But uh, hey, masks, masks are a good way for people to experiment with different facial hair and how they might look, right? Oh, no doubt about it. I'm let. I haven't. I haven't been able to cut my hair. I, I got a full on mullet going right now. Wait, wait till you finally see me. Oh, goody. <laughs> I'm. I, I'm gonna look like I fit in on the 1993 Philadelphia Phillies. Oh my god! Yeah, that'll be great. That's uh, that's tremendous. So, Jesus Lazardo was he asymptomatic? <laughs> uh, that's my belief. He texted me that he's feeling good, so I assume that means he's. Uh, pretty asymptomatic. Uh, you know, Mike Fires also was delayed. I, they had worked out together. I don't know if that was, you know, maybe he had a false positive and needed to get tested again, or if maybe he needed to get tested again because he and Jesus had been in proximity and Jesus had tested positive. It's unclear because teams do not give out specific information about players by name unless the players say it's okay. It's unclear when the positive test initially was and how long Jesus might be out. 
if he is indeed asymptomatic, obviously, if he has symptoms, that will determine how long he's out. Um, But if he's asymptomatic, he needs two negative tests at least 24 hours apart uh, to return to the field. And I, you know, the rule of thumb initially was 14 days. I've also seen 10 days. Uh, But depending on what it is, that means he could be back next week. I don't know if the A's are overly concerned about how much time he might be missing. Now, if if he's feeling ill at all, that's a different story. If he's completely asymptomatic, uh, I I suspect he would be back probably sometime next week. And uh, the A's already were talking about potentially six-man rotation or using tandem starters. I I could see him being worked in as a tandem starter very easily, you know, even if he's only at three innings to start off with. Yeah, I talked about that earlier. It's like if you if if you have the virus and you end up having respiratory issues and coughing and a super high fever and your body has to fight that, it's going to take some of your strength. If you're asymptomatic, you don't know. And that may be the good thing for Jesus is that his body didn't have to fight anything. So he's not going to be weakened by the virus, which means he can get on the mound faster. Yeah, it would be nice if we had a little bit more information, but I suspect that's the case because he said he is feeling good and hoping to get two negative tests in a row soon. So uh, that that to me indicates he's not, you know, uh, he's not having at least any serious symptoms. And I, I, of course, we hope he's having zero symptoms because even the mild ones sound like they're not a lot of fun with this. And as we talked about spring training, it still plays today. What a great insurance policy Chris Bassett is for this team. Always. He's so valuable. You know, we talk a lot about how underrated somebody like Yusmero Petit is. Uh, the interesting thing is we did, we had, had Bassett on our one of our video calls. That was this morning. And uh, he talked about how he really models his workout on Yusmero Petit and what Petit does. Uh, you know, he's an older, more veteran player, and he's in great shape. The two of them were running stadium stairs together the other day. Uh, with, with social distancing, and uh, that's a great role model for somebody like Chris Bassett because Petit can do anything. He can pitch in any role. I'm I'm sure if they wanted him to start, Petit would say, "Sure, great. When tell me when, give me the ball." But uh, Chris Bassett is turning into a guy like that, and it's so like what an asset to have. You know, he can go long. He can make a spot start. He could pitch in tandem with somebody, really any role. You know, if they needed him in late innings, I'm sure he would roll out there with absolutely no problem, which is such a switch. Because remember a few years ago in spring training when they were using him in a bunch of different roles, he was not on board with it. And he'll tell you that right now. He was, he fought it. And once he kind of got in his head, hey, this is really your ticket to getting to the big leagues and staying there instead of being a yo-yo guy. uh, He embraced it. Once he embraced it, He's good at it. It's great. It actually is a role that's really well suited for him. So he's ready to go. And I think yet again, he might be a big secret weapon for the A's. Probably not quite so secret, maybe in a short season like this. Okay. A couple of guys got some questions for you here. Uh, when we left, when I left spring training, AJ Puck had been shut down. Where are we with him right now? Uh, he, uh, talking to Scott Emerson the other day, he said uh, Puck is maybe just a day or two behind some other guys. They're going to be a little cautious with him, but uh, I, I think it's pretty much all systems go with him. I talked to him once during the shutdown, and he was thrown off the mound, feeling good. 
Uh, I think the A's probably, you know, it's probably going to be a year or two before the A's really, really uh, feel comfortable having him have a full 162-game workload, 35 starts or what have you. But in a short season, uh, Bob Melvin said the reins are off, and you love to hear that. How does Chris Davis look? Well, you know, our our glimpses of um, the workouts are somewhat brief. So I did watch him today in batting practice. I wasn't out there yesterday. And then, of course, the night before, nobody was out there to watch that. But um, he, he looks good. He actually looks like maybe he's lost a tiny bit of weight, but he looks very fit. And uh, the pitchers that he's faced so far say he looks really good. So uh, I'm not – I was never concerned about Chris going back to spring training, you know, original, you know, whatever we're calling it, 1.0 spring training. But I, I, I'm really not worried about Chris at all. Because, yeah, I mean, if he gets back to being the – obviously, you're not going to hit 40 home runs in 60 games, but he gets back to being that player. Because you got to remember, Susan, he hit so many home runs in games where the A's were tied or ahead. He didn't hit them in games where it didn't matter. He hit, he hit a lot of home runs that factored in the outcome of the game. Yeah, I know the A's are a team that don't necessarily believe in the whole clutch thing, but if there, if there is – you know, even when he wasn't hitting homers, he was getting some big singles, getting some big doubles, uh, even even as he was sort of slumping. This is a guy who is pretty driven to win. He wants to succeed. I think that's some of the reason that he did have the funk last year. You know, he was trying so hard, had the injury, tried to fight through the injury because he wanted to contribute uh, through his swing off. And then I think he really was a lot of it was just trying too hard. It sounds to me like he's taking the opposite point of view now not that he's not trying but he's going to you know not focus so much on it to the extent that he ties himself up in knots uh and a relaxed chris davis doing his thing is just what the a's want and i I suspect that's what we're going to see when he gets hot man he can carry a team for weeks and in a 60 game season a hot chris davis would be a very very good thing for the a's I mean, basically just a little over two weeks for getting this thing started, hopefully. And this is going to go really, really fast. Who's playing second yeah. base on Jorge Mateo's gone to the Padres. Who's playing second base on opening day? Well, you know, it's going to depend on whether they say it's a left-hander or a right-hander. If it's a right-hander, I would say Tony Kemp's going to be in there most of the time. If it's a lefty, it's probably Franklin Barreto. But, you know, we, we've talked so many times, County, about Barreto and, you know, let the guy play, you let him give him every day at bat. Uh, he still has not grabbed the opportunity enough to, I think, have won that. Uh, and I think the platoon is probably the way they'll go in a short season. But uh, I do hope, uh, clearly, the A's have decided that he's their guy of the future. He's the one they kept when they, you know, with Mateo and him both being out of options. Uh, I think they're pretty committed to him. And maybe in, in future years, he's the guy we see at second base every day. I can tell you the MLB network was loving on the A's yesterday. And you start looking at, you know, teams that you can beat up in the West in the American league and the national league. You look at three big boys in there with the Astros, the Dodgers and the A's. How do you think this thing plays out in 60 games? Uh, I mean, it's just so hard to handicap. Baseball is not meant for six, a 60 game schedule. Um, You know, they almost could have just done like a, 
round robin tournament or something for this whole stretch and have that determine the season because it's so this is just such an un- uncharted territory and we're looking at it's, it's you know, it's the middle of a pandemic. What happens coming down the stretch if there's just a couple of games separating a bunch of teams and somebody loses the heart of their lineup to a couple of positive tests? Uh, you know, it could be things like that really wind up deciding the season. So uh, I, you know, those three teams you mentioned, including the A's, are all excellent teams. And on paper, you would say they're going to be the teams that come out uh, on top probably in this, certainly the contenders you'd expect. But who knows? You know, the Astros are still dealing with a lot of internal stuff. There's some clear dysfunction going on there. And uh, some of the other teams got a little bit better. But injuries and and test results might really have a big say in this. Let's end on this because I know you like to talk to agents. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later about Mookie Betts, how, you know, it's been thrown out there that he turned down somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 million from the Boston Red Sox. And going into this offseason where the money's not going to be how it normally is because of the pandemic and a lot of lost revenue, what do you think where we talk about extensions for Chapman or Olsen or Simeon or free agent contracts? What, have you talked to any agents and how they view how the offseason might be? Yeah, you know what? They don't have any idea. Um, you know, the tale will be told probably pretty early. Uh, if any players jump on board with some undervalued long-term extensions early. I think that'll tell you how people are thinking, but right now I don't, you know, I think most agents are still saying like, my guy deserves just as much as he did. Look at his case. You know, that's what they have to say. Um, But if I'm somebody like Marcus Simeon, if the A's did make him a qualifying offer and the qualifying offers are still expected to be in the same range, uh, $17, $18 million, if I'm Marcus Simeon, I take it and maybe also keep working on a long-term deal and maybe kind of, you know, because that's obviously like a pretty high number for the A's. It would be the biggest one-year deal in A's history. But he's so important. If you want to get one more year, if you don't know what you're doing at the position, if you've got something else in mind, okay, do it for the one year. But to me, Marcus's uh, importance to that team just grows every day. They are leaning on him so hard as a leader during an unusual season uh, I hope they reward him with a qualifying offer, and even more so, I hope they reward him with a long-term extension. It's going to be tough to do, but maybe this is the year you could potentially talk an agent into uh, doing something a little bit different. Joel Wolf is as good as they come. He's not going to settle for a lot under market value, but who knows what that market looks like right now. Susan, you're the best. We miss seeing you. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. If not, of course, we'll have you here on Ace Cast Live. Be safe, be well, and uh Next time we talk, hopefully we'll be talking about games. Oh, I can't wait. That sounds awesome. Thanks, Tony. Tony, have fun. Oh, uh, he is here and ready to go. It's Wednesday. It's Hump Day. Play is open. Wednesday is known as Hump Day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. How you doing, Ray? Tony, Tony, how are you and Cody doing? I'm doing outstanding. We've got baseball coming back. Let's just hope and pray that everything continues along the same path and we can have it back and... Uh, I don't care. Cardboard cutouts in the stands, fans in the parking lot. 
with a big screen. Baseball will be on the field, and uh, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. How about you? Well, uh, they're going to have a, a cardboard cutout of me at, at the treehouse. Are you going to come out and say hi? <laughs> well, uh, uh, Dietrich Page sent me a, a note saying, we want to use you. So I gave one back uh, when I was playing back, I think, 73, that Doug McWilliams took a picture of. And I said, use that one because I have dark hair. It's long. I've got a batting stance. I'm, re- <laughs> you know, I'm ready to go, you know. So uh, it, it's nice that they're doing it. And as we said last week, the fact that they're uh, donated the money to charity, I, I think it's outstanding, all good. And uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'll come and see it, you know. Uh, I, I saw a picture of the, the stadium. I think there was a uh, team playing under the lights on Monday or practicing under the lights. And I saw these these uh, what looked like cardboard cutouts in the outfield. Had they already started to position them? Uh, be, because it, it seemed like there was something in the um, in the um, the outfield bleachers. And I, you know, I'm sure you know with right field Will and all the people out there. I'm sure they're they're all in. You know, to do that, they probably have their flags hung out over their their and their banners hung out over the. the, the so just, so they're 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 going to be have their presence. So like everybody else, but I, I think it's going to work and uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope we're going to pipe in the drums. Yes, I think that would be great. And, and the late George Steinbrenner, I'll never forget. He said, get those guys out of here, cancel them, get them out of the stadium. So they obviously would make a huge difference. I agree with you. You know, I was, I was uh, online actually, and I saw Cleveland, and it sounded like they had piped in a crowd noise at the, um, I guess, what is now known as progressive field while the team was working out. So I don't know if uh, clubs are going to do that, but uh, I, I think they're going to improvise as much as possible to try to make it look like or sound like everything. So, you know, but I, I think, you know, the main thing, you know, the one thing I like what Bob Melvin said uh, in one of his press conferences and, and the way they're doing that uh, is kind of unique in itself. But I thought his comment about we're looking at this as starting in August, which means that this is the way the club plays and plays well in the month of August and September. You know, we've talked about the club starting out slowly. So I like the fact that they're utilizing, forget about April, May, June, July, or at least most of July, and say this is where we're starting. And it's like, okay, this is when we kick it in gear. And 21 of the first 29 games are at the Coliseum or in the Bay Area, counting, counting the Giants across the Bay. So it, it's going to be nice in a sense that the A's get to play in that great field that Clay Wood does a tremendous job with his crew, getting it all ready to go. So while there may not be live fans in the stands, I, I think it will be nice to be able to be at home that number of games, get off to a good start in the month of July and uh, August. And, you know, at that point, you know, Tony, in a 162-game schedule, you look at it and you say at the beginning of the season, Wow, 162 games. Next thing you know, you're, you're, you're in October or November in the offseason, and it's over. So you can only imagine what a 60-game schedule is going to do and how quickly it's going to go, considering most of the days are occupied with a game. There are some off days, but those will be days spent for traveling or whatever, except for the broadcasters. We'll stay at the Coliseum. But I think it's going to be interesting at how much intensity is going to be uh, displayed by players individually and teams collectively to the point that this is only 60 games, guys. Let's get it in gear. Let's start out great. See who can chase us. And I think to your point last week about the trading deadline coming out uh, August 31st, 
dumping of contracts with teams that don't get off to a good start in this uh, abbreviated season, I think it's going to be showing during that period of time what clubs might be doing. How important will it be that the catcher, Scott Emerson, Bob Melvin, are all on the same page to where the catcher can look over and go, this guy doesn't got it anymore? Because, I mean, they're not going to be in their full-time shape. I mean, a guy could lose it real quick in the third or the fourth, and the catcher's got to be able to right? He's got to be able to look over and go, this ain't working. Tony, when I was in Cleveland, I had signed with my manager, and I would basically say exactly what you're talking about. I would look at him, we and we had a sign. It was a, a physical, you know, closed fist, or I'd rub something on my body, chest protector, whatever, to kind of let him know he's losing it. And 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 again, the the honesty part is obviously when he came out, and it is. I think that's going to be restricted as far as uh, manager, pitching coach, anybody going to the mound trying to have the social distancing. But uh, there is a sign that can be given. And then when they get back in the dugout, they can communicate. And, you know, catcher has to be honest. I've always felt that, that you may have a friend on the mound, but you have to be honest to the manager and pitching coach say, this guy doesn't have it. We're trying to win as a team. And if you as an individual don't like me talking about you, you don't care about this team in the first place. If you're losing it, and I can see you're losing it, uh, you know, the old story say, how's he throwing? I said, I don't know. I haven't seen anything. I haven't caught anything. It's all been hit. And that's not good. That's not a good sign. <laughs> it's not a good sign. So, but, uh, but, yeah, you can usually tell. And I, I've always felt that the catcher is the most important. And I'm not being biased because I was a catcher. But the bottom line, the catcher is 60 feet, 6 inches away from the pitcher. He can tell if he's dropping his arm. And maybe from the sideline, you can't see as much as a catcher can. And, and that's why I, I've had pitching coaches, I've had managers say to me personally, How's it, how's it going? What do you think? And you have to be honest with them. And, and again, I, I think you have to have a thick skin as a pitcher, but you have to be honest as a catcher to make sure that you are honest in telling the manager pitching coach that, hey, it's time. Because, again, in a shortened season, 60 games, uh, you, you better be on the same page because if you're not, you're going to end up going to the clubhouse on a sad note. You know, Ray, a lot of arms are going to be out there. And we've yeah. talked to Scott Emerson before about a positional staff, right? You, you're, you're not considered a starter. You're not considered a reliever. You just take the ball when we tell you to take the ball. Uh, this could be one of those years to where, you know, it's kind of like you may start the game, but you're only going three, and here comes somebody else to go two or three. I mean, th this could finally – we could finally see this kind of like – Hey, everybody's just a pitcher. Take the ball when you're ready. You know, I agree with you. And go back in the 90s when Tony DeRusa managed, and, and he would have a starting pitcher pitch three innings, another starting pitcher come in to pitch three innings, and then maybe go to the bullpen. But Bob Melman has talked about piggybacking a, a starter to another starter. Now, with what has transpired with Jesus Lazardo, if he misses time, that's where the depth of the athletics, especially with Chris Bassett, can step in. So if that is the case, and Lazardo is delayed a little bit, and I'm assuming that based on what I've read and, and heard is that he's in quarantine and cannot participate in the drills. And if that's the case, Chris Bassett can. And, and he can step right in, having been a starter himself. But see, to me, Bassett is the type of guy who, over the years since he's been with the A's, he came in as a starter became a reliever, became the guy that you could call on for multiple innings out of the bullpen. Then he could spot start. 
And he was the perfect guy. And I think in the case right now, assuming the other four in Manaya and Puck and Fires and um, 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 Montas are okay. And let's say Lazardo's not, Bassett could step into that role and the A's would not miss a beat. And that, I think it would be perfect because there does not seem to be any limitations on the number of pitches you can carry. I think you can add another reliever to take over what uh, uh, you might have lost with Chris Bassett until Lazardo comes back. But I think the A's are well-suited because of the shortened season, because of the three players they had in Puckman, Nye, and Lazardo, who, was going to be, who were going to be limited in innings anyway. They're not now. They're going to be full out, full, ready to go. And I think it's going to be beneficial for them to be able to pitch in the 60 games in their starts or out of the bullpen and be ready going 2021, hopefully in a regular 162-game schedule and not have any limitations then as well. And I, I think that's where it's going to benefit the A's. I like asking this question of former players. Like, if you get out to a hot start, 60 games, you're loving life, right? You're like, this is great. If you get out to a bad start, Ray, boy, I mean, how fast are people going to press? Well, they're going to press, but one thing, and I've said it all along, that Bob Melvin is not going to let anybody do anything except play the game the right way, play the game to win. Because even in short season, I agree with you, you get off to a fast start, and again, I go back to what Tony DeRosa always said about get off to a fast start and let everybody try to catch you. Well, that's what you're going to try to do. Our teams are going to try to do now in the short 60-game schedule. So maybe the fact that the A's are playing the 21 of 29 in the Bay Area, they can stay in their, in their homes or wherever they're staying for that period of time, not have to travel. They can get comfortable and get off to the good start that we hope they do. But on the other hand, even though it is a shortened season, I think Bob Melvin – until he looks at the standings and sees that the club is eliminated with no chance for postseason, he's going to encourage and really insist on the guys to continue to play and play the game the right way, trying to get back in the race and see what happens. Now, let me ask you a question, Tony. I know you're an astute baseball man. You're, you're top of everything that's going on. How are they going to do with the 10 teams in three uh, regional parts of the United States when it comes to postseason? Are they, are they going to have uh, or how are they going to work the postseason and who qualifies based on the way they've set it up right now? It's the same as uh, it's have the, the same. Say, say the same. You're going to have you're going to have the three winners and then you have the two wild card teams. Okay, so so the same. Okay, so that's good. That it will stay the same. Now well, I heard you talking talking briefly about expansion uh, before I came on. You and Cody were discussing. It sounded like uh, expansion. Is that something you were discussing? Yeah, because because so even like Jason Stark, people are now starting to talk about this. Going now that everybody's going to have the DH, now we're going to see baseball more regional than ever before. That it might be time to really think whether we really need a National League versus the American League versus having West versus East, cutting down travel for the West. Big, greater rivalries with the Dodgers and the Giants for like the A's and the Angels. You throw the Padres in there, the D-backs. Like, is this going to change baseball to be like how football, basketball, and baseball? I mean, football, basketball, and hockey. You know, I think I think it's something that they have considered for years, and that would be eight four-team divisions, 32 teams overall, which means two expansion teams. And that's why I'm not surprised that Tony DeRosa, Dave Stewart, and I guess a group of people are trying to get Nashville in as one of the teams 
to be an expansion team. And, you know, I, I can see them having the eight, four team divisions where you have eight division winners then you have a number of wild cards. You ha- you have an expanded postseason. You have the universal DH, like you said, to where you don't have to worry about any of those things. But, um, I, I think it's going to be happening. I think we're seeing a, a, a lot of changes in baseball. Uh, I, I think they were on maybe not necessarily the back burner. They were on the oven or on the uh, cooktop. It's just a matter of where you want to put them. But maybe because of this virus that maybe those things have started to heat up a little bit more quickly because of what is happening and the shutdown of baseball until this exp- uh, uh, abbreviated season. So I agree with you. And I, I think that's where it's going to come down to. And if they can eliminate or at least um, not have as much traveling, I, I would not like to see everything stay regionally. I, I still think what's nice, even though right now it's uh, it's a schedule that other than the teams in your own division, you're, you're playing 19 times with the Central and East. From the A standpoint, you're playing seven, either three there or at your park or vice versa. I still think that's nice to be able to do a little travel, but you minimize it because of your having – the number of regional uh, teams or teams in a region that, that maybe you don't have as much. But I still like the fact that you're seeing these because one of the things that you go back to, I know um, playing in, in my two World Series, we played the Mets and the Dodgers. We didn't see those teams in, in any time during the season. So it really, uh, it, it was a true World Series not knowing. There was no familiarity. And when the A's played the Giants in the World Series in 89, Look how many times they played them in spring training. They had the Bay Bridge Series, regular season. And so when it came to World Series, they were very familiar with each other. But if, if you're a traditionalist and you like the fact that you're facing a team that you don't know anything about, that's where your scouts and your advanced scouts really come into play. As, again, we've talked about with uh, the, the scouts back in the 70s, that we relied strictly on what they were seeing from the teams that were playing in postseason or, or in the World Series. We had seen the Orioles when I played. But uh, as far as the World Series, that was much different. So, you know, there are a lot of changes. It's something that, that uh, we as people involved in the game and fans who are great fans, we're going to be seeing changes in the game. But this great thing about baseball, it's still going to be between the white lines, trying to hit a ball, trying to catch the ball, and trying to be a world champion. Who do you think is going to be – what style of team is going to be the most dangerous in a 60-game season? You know, it's an interesting question, Tony, because there's been talk about it. I know Bob Melvin was asked whether he's going to be bunting more, hitting, running more. Joe Madden basically had said they're going to do exactly that. And if you look back to 2002, when the Angels won their only world championship, it was under Mike Sosha, who had come from the National League, and he had the style of National League baseball. And call it what you want, and some people don't like the use of the name of small ball, but bunting, hitting, and running playing for a run at a time instead of trying to play for a three-run home run. I think you're going to try to get the lead, try to use your pitching staff to hold the lead, and that's where I think the A's are benefiting because they have, as we've talked before, the pitching, both starters and relievers. They have the defense. If they can get a lead, they should be able to hold them because in a shortened season, unlike last year when they had so many blown saves, you can't afford to do that this year. And I think with the experience of the A's having 197 the last two regular seasons and played the wild card, unfortunately losing, but at least the majority of the players who are with the A's right now have had the experience of doing that. And I think that's where that's going to benefit them. Now, Bob Melvin, having been in the National League himself, uh, we'll see what he's going to do. 
But with that extra player, the 26th player, would he be somebody who has speed that can go in and steal a base, get into scoring position, and, and the way they're going to have it with the uh, extra innings? I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see. Here we go at the top of the 10th inning. Oh, there's already a runner at second base. And, you know, that's kind of kind – of, it, it's going to be strange to look out there and see that. But uh, uh, I, I just think that things are changing, and, and that's one of them. But um, I, I just think if, if a team – can manufacture runs. Let's say, Tony, in the early part of the game, you have a runner at third and less than two outs. What do we see? Infield back. And, and I've said it a number of times on, on the air. You have to make contact to get that run in because they're giving it to you. Now, with the shortened season, will we see the infield playing in, trying to cut down that run early in the game versus giving it up knowing that you don't have as many games to play now as you've done in the past and you don't want to open up a big inning? But maybe that will change in the minds of a manager where – and say, hey, we don't want to give up a run. We just don't want to have a team do that. But if you're, let's say, an ace hitter, and it's early in the game, and you see a run at third less than two outs, you have to get him in if the infield's playing back. You have to make contact. Pitch is going to try to strike you out, get you to pop up on the infield or shallow enough fly ball in the outfield to keep that run from scoring. But it's going to be incumbent upon the team, the Oakland A's, a run at third less than two outs, get him in no matter how you do it. And I think that's where something that is going to be emphasized by, uh, by our Darren Bush, the A's hitting coach, to, to make contact. You know, and, and they do that during batting practice. They run at third less than two outs, and the hitter knows, make contact. Any type of contact, ground ball, fly ball deep enough in the outfield to get him in. But I think those are the little things that are going to change because of the shortened season. And we might see more running, might we see more hit and running. But I think the bottom line, Tony, if you have what the A's have in the pitching, and the defense, you get a lead, the, the A's get a lead, they should be able to keep it. Ray, did you honestly, on my program, just talk about small ball, bunting, making contact? <laughs> Are you trying to get this show kicked off the air? <laughs> no, you asked me about this type of season. No, no, no. This is different. This is a much different type of a season. You talk and, long, and I, Ray. You got to talk about the ball going out of the ballpark. Well, listen. <laughs> I've always said, and you've heard me say this, you know, in a normal season, you have a player, an everyday player goes to the plate 600 times, four times, he plays 150 games, we'll give him the benefit of taking 12 days off, four times he goes to the plate 600 times, do the math. If he hits 50 home runs, I give him the benefit of not hitting 50, 40 would be great. That's a whole bunch of at-bats where you're not hitting a home run. And, you know, that to me, says a lot about what you're trying to do. If you're trying to launch and hit home runs and you strike out, that's not going to benefit the team as the word T-E-A-M in a shortened season. Now, sure, you hit home runs, it's going to be great. You get the home runs to win a ball game, it's going to be great. Uh, but, you know, it, this is different. This is something that you almost have to revert to the way the game was played in the past where you didn't have as many home runs hit. And um, I think it becomes more of a, a type of game where a run, a run is, uh, is very important, especially in the early part of the game. I'm not saying that the A's are going to completely overhaul and, and, you know, and bunt and hit and run and do a lot of things. I'm just saying, oh, you God. know, Joe, Joe, Joe Madden has already said it. Joe Madden had said, now remember, Joe Madden did it with the Rays. He did it with the Cubs in the National League. And you know, and I, I said even before the shortened season came about, I knew that Joe Madden was going to play the game the way the game would be played, hoping for a home run, but if not, let's get this run in 
with a ground ball, especially at the infield back. Get as many runs as you can because ultimately the more guys cross and touch home plate and the game is over, whoever has the most is going to win. We all know that. But whatever you have to do in a shortened season, a 60-game sprint, I think it's, it's important to score as quickly as you can and try to have the team that's trying to change you. And you know what, Tally, too? Let's say you get ahead early in the game. That takes away, in most cases, what a team might be doing. They may not be sacrificing, probably won't be sacrificing. They'll be looking for the three-run home run. That's not going to come that often anyway. So, again, it goes back to the pitching. You have good pitching, good defense. You're going to prevent the other team from scoring. And, and again, I, I think in a sprint, you know, it's almost like postseason, which it is. And, and look how teams try to change in postseason and do things that maybe they don't do in the regular season because they know that you're playing a five-game series. If you lose three, you go home. You try to win three, World Series, or League Championship. You play seven. You lose four, you go home. You win four, you go on to the next round. And you, you ultimately are world champion if you're standing at the end of, end of the whole thing. But it, it's how you score those runs. And, you know, we've talked before, in a regular season, you can lose 10 in a row, you can win 10 in a row. But in short season, postseason, and now with this, this shortened season, I don't think a team can afford to do that. So you have to try to score any way you can. I'm sorry I did that. You, you, you know, everything that you do so great on this show, you and Cody, you're never going anywhere. And, and so, no, it, it, this I'm is – hey, Ray. <laughs> Ray, you keep talking about hitting behind the runner, hit and run. We're going to lose our careers. <laughs> no, no. Listen, that that's fun. <laughs> that, that that's fun to be able to see hey, because you know what, Ray? Ray, seriously, I I talked about that with Cody, who he hates that kind of stuff. I said, listen, in a shortened season, making contact and quality contact, I think is going to be in vogue because. If you get on a bad run of, because you can get on a bad run trying to hit home runs and strike yep. out for, you do that now, you get off to a bad start and the ball's not flying to the ballpark. You keep punching out. At some point, the manager's going to have to have a quick hook on you. I agree, hundred percent. And you know what? I'm going to go back to postseason play. In postseason, you're facing the best pitchers, which means that in most cases, you're not going to be hitting the home runs that you might hit against other starters that are not in the top three in most cases. Again, I'm, I, I don't mean to emphasize the A's, but the A's have five quality starters and even six with Chris Bassett. But I still say that if you're facing the best pitching, you're facing the best teams, typically you're not going to score 10 runs a game. You're, you're going to have to rely on pitching and defense and scoring any way you can. Well, that's similar to what they're doing right now or will do in a shortened 60 game schedule it's exactly like you said so cody you know you may not like it now you better get used to it because otherwise i agree with Tony that you know you're, you're going to be you're going to be chasing and you'd rather be having people chase you and by playing at the top of baseball to get ahead and especially with the team that the a's have and even though going into what we had hoped to be a regular 162 game schedule there was a, a great positive attitude among the team, the A's team, the management, the A's fans. But I think that continues in a shortened season. But you may have to change some things to do some things. And I, I think we're going to be seeing that in baseball starting uh, July 23rd when there's two games, but especially for the A's starting July 24th when they host the Angels at the Coliseum. It, it's a different brand of baseball. I think it has to be. But um, it, it's almost like playing postseason in late July, August, and September. 
Cody, would you like to respond? I, I like the idea of this year with the short season, that having the small ball aspect of it. Now, as David Forrest told us, ball go far, team go far, so I still want to see the launch angle and the exit velo on home runs. Hey, as long as I see the opener this year, I'll be I'll be happy. That's all. I just want to see the team use the opener. And bullpens taking over, I, I, that's all I want to see. No, I, I agree with you, Cody. I want to see it too because I, I, just to see baseball, I think it's important. But, but, you know, just like we talked about the negotiation, this 60-game schedule is, is almost like the negotiation. You know, it's, it, this is an abnormal season. We know it's not normal. We, we know that it's not spring training, start the season. In case of March, play six months. You have postseason October and go forward in the offseason, rest, get ready for next year. That's not happening this year. So changes have to be made, should have been made perhaps in the negotiation, so it could possibly have started on America's birthday, but it didn't happen. So we're starting – hopefully on the August or, or July the 24th, it can do that. So, um, but I, I think, uh, I, I think it is much different this year. So I, I agree with you, Cody. And, you know, things, assuming life returns to normal in 2021, baseball from the A standpoint will return to the same way. But you know what? Maybe they can learn that doing the little things can help them in the overall theme of things and, and try to get the run. Because I've always been a proponent of, you know, early in the game, there's a free run for you. Just make contact. And, man, it's so frustrating whenever you, you see a guy strike out or pop up. And, and, you know, with the launch angle, maybe he doesn't get it deep enough. The run doesn't score. And then you get late in the game, similar situation. The infield's in. It's much different because they're gifting you the run early. Later in the game, that's not the case. And so I, I think that's where I, I'm anxious to see, uh, interested to see what teams are going to do when they have a runner at third. Are they going to play it normal? Say, okay, we'll give you that run. I, I'm, I'm really interested to see what teams are going to do if they're willing to give up that run. Squeeze by. Squeeze by. A squeeze hey. by. <laughs> Why not? Hey, there were. Listen, I saw Marcus Simeon in spring training in Mesa. Uh, of course, uh, they were org- organized and going. He said, I have to go bunt. I said, wow, that's great. So they're practicing. They do practice. So you know, maybe it's a possibility. You know, you get the ball down in a squeeze, and it's 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 executed the correct way. Yeah, that's a run for you. And uh, you know, look what Ramon Hernandez did. What in the early 2000s when he bunted against Derek Lowe and the Boston Red Sox, and with two outs, third baseman back, he laid down a perfect bunt. He's won the ball game. So anything can happen. But you know, before we go, Cody's got one more for you, Foss. All right, Ray, I asked Tommy this, and we kind of discussed it. What do you think uh, of this? What do you think of a reliever potentially winning the Cy Young Award in 2020? Wow, that's a great, that's a great point. You're, that's right, because if you figure in a 60-game schedule, five starters, they're going to get 12 starts. A reliever could pitch in 30 games, and a closer, a closer could, could get you know, 20, 25 saves you know, if the team's ahead. No, I, that's a great point, Cody. That, um, you know, it's happened before. Is it Willie Hernandez with the Detroit Tigers, Eckersley? Uh, Eckersley won the sign, the MVP. Raleigh. So, yeah, it is. Do- Raleigh, it, it is doable. But, uh, but yeah, I think under these circumstances, Cody, I think you're exactly right, that it could be someone um, coming out of the bullpen on a regular basis. But, you know, it's important to have a lead, which, again, uh, the A's can't afford to have the bone saves that they had last year. We know that. Because in, in, in this abbreviated season, 
you have that many blown saves, you're not going to go anywhere. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, I, I just think it's going to be a different brand of baseball. And I, I'm so positive about what the A's are capable of doing. I think it's going to be great because they were set up with a 162 game schedule. I think they're going to be equally as ready to go in a 60 game schedule. But right, again, I, as I, as I go ahead. I totally believe in conspiracies. Um, I believe in it all, Ray. And I believe everything I read on the internet. So um, right now, baseball needs excitement. They were worried about all the home runs last year, but now in 60 games, I could see them saying, boy, we probably really need that juice ball again to get people excited. Could we see 30 home runs from a guy? And could we see a guy hit 400? Uh, No and no. Uh, I, I don't believe I, – I think they took so much heat last year with the baseball and how much it supposedly changed the postseason uh, noticeably. But, but you know, I don't really buy into that because I still say that while things can happen in a 162-game schedule that don't in a, in a postseason, it, it, I don't think it's so much the baseball. I think it's so much of the quality of the pitcher throwing the baseball, the hitters hitting the baseball, and, and I think to me that's the biggest difference. So whatever they might do, but uh, – I don't think it's going to be after the 94 cancellation of, of the end of the season of World Series trying to get baseball back. This is different. I think people are going to be excited just to get baseball back. The true baseball fans want it back, and I think they're going to enjoy what they're seeing. And I just think they, they may want to see exactly what we've talked about in this segment and in the way that the teams play the game of baseball. And, you know, if, if one manager does it, it's a copycat sport, copycat uh, life, industry, whatever it might be. So you might see some of that. And for David Forrest and Billy Bean, who are, might be listening, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't know what the thought process is, but the bottom line is uh, you just need to win because it is an abbreviated season. But what I wanted to say was what Ryan Christensen has done or did during spring training normally, but what he has had to go through now with trying to get this team ready to go for August or July the 24th. I think it's exceptional for a bench coach, the organizer of spring training, and what Ryan Christensen is doing already is really, really important. And I think that's going to be something that's going to help the A's get ready for the 24th. The players will do it, but being organized, and Rhino is doing that, I think is tremendous. So I just wanted to get that in before we had to exit. Ray, you might be the only one that gets this reference. Um, I'm glad you don't see my hair right now because I haven't had a haircut. So it's at that point that it looks like I could either be on the BGS or be in the TV show, the Partridge family. <laughs> you know what? I'm just looking forward to uh, July the 24th because we're going to have a conversation. What? Every day, we every day, every day. That's going to be so much fun because there's so much to talk about in baseball and all these things we're, we're speculating about now. We can talk about in reality once it starts. I'm looking forward to that. So appreciate all you guys do. Cody and Tony, you guys do a great job. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's always fun. And I look forward to talking to you next week and to being on a normal schedule. I think it's going to be great. It's going to be the Ray and Towney show brought to you by Tootsie Roll. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> all right, buddy. Oh, that's we'll beautiful. That's beautiful. Next week. All right. You guys take care. Continue doing a great job. Talk to you soon. And look who just popped in. The great Vince Catronio. Vinny, how are you? What's up, boys? How are you? How you doing? 
we are we are doing well and you know what i i really appreciate when everybody gets on the google meets because it's good to see you we had dave cavill on recently bob melvin and uh just getting to see your face uh it's great to see you how are you yeah same with you guys i'd certainly miss you guys and miss uh being together and unfortunately it's a virtual world these days and that's kind of what we're dealing with but we'll we'll take the best we can i'm trying to trying to build on my my background game how am i doing with my background they're looking pretty good. I got you got the Wheaties box way up top. Yeah, that's uh, that's old Rafael Palmero from his 500th home run. Uh, this is the office in the house in beautiful Gilbert, Arizona. So got uh, we got Charlie Brown up there. We got a couple of nice uh, paper draw or pencil drawings. And I got Vince Scully. I got the DiMaggio brothers. Uh, the All Star Game is the date that uh, the date that I got married to my wife. You can see Brooks Robinson over there. You got Brooks Robinson, and you got Sammy Sosa up top, and my my old football coach Lou Saban from the University of Central Florida. Those are some great days. Nice, nice. So, how's it been with the family? It's you know it's been good. We've got we've got a full house. We got six people. You know, uh, Olivia and her husband Troy moved back from from Georgia. My son-in-law left the army, and unfortunately, they came here at a time when they had plans like everybody else did, and that's all been put on hold. Everybody has a story with the pandemic. Our youngest, Sophia, had a virtual graduation, picked up her diploma driving, you know, in front of the school. Then they eventually, a month later, did a smaller graduation. No parents uh, invited. They did at the football field. Dominic is working in the golf industry and, uh, you know, Veronica's waiting to go back to school. And that's kind of on hold as well here in Arizona. So, like I said, we've all got We've all got a story to tell. We're healthy. We're doing okay. We're hanging in there. And that's, you know, right now, that's of the utmost importance. Well, the big news today, well, by the way, I I, I drove by the Coliseum today on 880, coming back from vacation. And it was so weird just driving by, looking at the building going, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'll even be in that building this season. I know you right. will be, and you and Ken, and I think we're going to be able to get Ray and Kipe in there, but for the rest of us, we're trying to keep the numbers down. That's what the governor wants to see. So I don't. I mean, I may not see the Coliseum till 2021. It was just really weird driving by and just looking out the window. And and even my one daughter Abigail goes, "Daddy, I miss A's baseball." I go, yeah, yeah, but I, I do. I do too. But I, I, it's 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 kind of sad. But I'm I'm glad that at least we're trying. At least they're trying. We're trying to get something going here. And I think, uh, like you, we'll, we'll, we'll take anything at this point. I think you're right, Chris. I and mean, that's that's what we're all holding on to. We we know that fans are wanting uh, their favorite teams. And in our case, you know, a great fan base with the A's. They, they want games. And I think at, at any, you know, in any manner that they can get them right now, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be ideal for all of us in terms of broadcasting the games. You know, the way that we can deliver the product, the way that we can deliver the energy of uh, the great fan base that won't be there in person. And that's going to be a challenge. But I, I think the fans will be along for the ride. Uh, they want to hear the crack of the bat. They want to hear a you know a gold glove play by the mats at the corners. They want to hear Ramon Laureano throwing somebody out. They want to hear Marcus Simeon hitting home runs and you know, all those kinds of things. And we're going to try to do it. You know, I'm as we sit here on the uh, 6th of July, knowing that the season starts on July 24th, uh, you know, my percentages, like many other people, keep on changing on, the, on, the, on this actually happening. I'm hopeful. I know they're trying hard. But we've seen the past couple of days the, um, 
the intricacies of trying to do a testing program. And I live in Arizona where their you know, testing clinics have been closed because they're running out of supplies and because of the heat and waiting, you know, seven hours of line to get a COVID test or, you know, waiting, you know, four to seven days to get results of the tests. Uh, it's, it's, it's real and it's out there and everybody's trying to do their best to get through this. And, and, and hopefully as Major League Baseball and Players Association work together in this, that, that there, that the stories will be more positive as we can get to the end of this thing and actually get to games. But the A's are, you know, A's are behind the eight ball right now. You only have so many days for spring training, this 2.0 summer camp, and the A's have already missed some time on the field where there have been some teams that have been uninterrupted. And that really is, you know, part of getting ready for what lies ahead. And I, I think it will it will be a factor when the season starts on the 23rd. You know, when we were previewing all the teams, it was early when we talked to Tom Hamilton of the Cleveland Indians, and he was the first one to really announce, hey, we're not traveling. And it makes me think of the Olympics because I learned this. I can't remember what, what summer games it was, but a lot of the people for NBC were calling the play-by-play. I was totally fooled. I thought everybody was there in Sochi or wherever the heck they were. Um, but then a lot of people were calling play-by-play from either San Francisco NBC or NBC in New York. Right. So calling play-by-play when you're not at the event I realize happens a lot. There's only, you know, Bob Costas and a few people who are actually there at the Olympic right. Games. I don't know if you've done this before, but it's more common than you think play-by-play guys doing games off monitors. That's true. It has grown uh, over the course of the past few years, but there's always been fans, you know, at those sites. And they've been able to uh, – kind of use the fans energy to to help your own energy during the course of a game. A game is is dragging or your team is behind and suddenly they, they mount a rally and your your endorphins get going again and you're you're back at it and you're firing on all cylinders like the fans are. And and I think that's something we're gonna have to find a way to to meet those expectations. I, I have no idea how that's gonna play out. I mean the only experience I have actually doing this was for an interview with the New York Mets back in nineteen eighty nine when they brought me to New York to the FAN studios, and I literally looked at a monitor for the seventh and eighth inning of a game that started with Mike Scott and Doc Gooden. And you thought, okay, you guys are going to pick it up on the seventh inning, and it's going to be a two to one game or a three to two game. Those guys were knocked out of the game. It was a seven seven game or whatever, just totally crazy. I know we will have enough views of the field with the monitor, with the different angles that will uh, help us actually do what we do best, which is set the defense with shifts. The guy gets a, you know, if the ball's in the air and the guy steps in instead of going back on the ball or gets a late break on the ball, we can see that stuff and try to adjust to it. It's certainly not the same as seeing it live, you know, in, in a ballpark. But uh, I think in terms of what uh, they're trying to do to help the radio side with with the television and with the, with the camera angles will be something that we'll be able to use effectively. And we'll just have to get used to it as, as we roll into it, as we watch – these games, I think even when the A's, when they announce, uh, you know, the one or two games with the Giants in San Francisco, Ken and I will still be in Oakland like we plan to be anyway. And we'll get a run through of what that's like doing a game off the monitor together in separate booths, separated by glass, but seeing what options we have in front of us to accurately follow the ball and see if there's a guy that's different in the on-deck circle or see somebody warming in the bullpen 
all those kind of things that our eyes are trained to find as the game goes on, as we have to paint the picture for the guy driving down the 880. Yeah, it looks like uh, those games in San Francisco that I'll end up going to those games. Those might be the only games I attend this year. We're all kind of be uh, boots on the ground for us. But uh, other than that, everything for us is going to be done like a road game. We got Commander's going to be at uh, his place in the South Bay. I'll be at my home studio. We'll have an engineer over at Oracle. Um, but we're all trying to do everything we can to get this thing going. And MLB Network, who's got their show going right now with the schedule, the A's the first two weeks, getting out to a hot start is so key. And they have the fifth easiest schedule. If you look at last year's standings and last year's records, the fifth easiest schedule if you win, it's going to be big. You lose, it's going to be like death. Yeah, no, you know, each game counts 2.7, so it counts almost 3 to 1. By the way, congratulations to Cody on the great quarantine look, man. He's definitely got it going. With, <laughs> he's, Thanks, Vince. He's been hibernating for a long time. I've been working on this beard for a long time, so I'm glad that look, I, it's finally getting recognized. Look how long my hair is. I, I don't need to know about hair, okay? I got a <laughs> mullet going. I got the whole thing going. Did you go down to San Diego? No, we had to cancel the beach house this year. I, I went up to Clear Lake this past weekend, and a buddy of mine, they got a boat and a wave runner, so we got to do somewhat of a vacation for the kids because, you know, I just uh, – wife doesn't feel safe about traveling on a plane or going long distance, so we got somewhat of a vacation in and because uh, – I mean, the bottom line is I'm going to be there for every game. We got 60 yeah. games. You're going to do the same. And uh, there's going to be no, you know, Bill Belichick, no days off. And hopefully we're going to carry this thing into October because I was thinking about it. You know, we're going to get the schedule. Now that you add the Dodgers to the division, you know, the two big boys, the Dodgers and the Astros. And I think you look at the A's and then it really is. How do you play? How do you how do you do against the Giants? How do you do against the Padres and the Rockies and the Mariners and the teams that we were not should have? not sure if they're going to be any good. You're going to have to beat up on the bad teams if you want to be in this postseason. Yeah, well, remember, I mean, the Mariners started 13-2 last year, so yeah. they had a great, you know, even a, a, a more of an extended positive start before things fell off, which is the beauty of a 162-game season. You do see the better horses at the end of the race in positions that you most likely see. For me, one of the disappointments of the agreement of the 60 game schedule was the non-expansion of the playoffs, because I think it not only does it give a team like the White Sox or the Reds or, or even the Rangers who have, you know, some improved pitching uh, a belief that, that they can be in this thing to the end and being into the end is meaning 32 and 28, 33 and 27, maybe. I think you're in it certainly with, with that kind of record, but I think it takes away the protection from a, a team that you would say, well, I expect that Minnesota should be in, or I expect the Yankees will be in. Well, they don't have that parachute of the extra of the extra layer of playoffs that would get them in and, will, and maybe would further allow them to establish the kind of team that people thought they were going to be coming out of a regular spring training and 162 game season. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I know the Angels have already announced that Andrew Heaney is their opening starter. He's a left-hander which means you're going to see Franklin Barreto start on opening night, likely, you know, playing second base. If, if things play out the way you think they will, Tony Kemp, who, who's there to play against righties, won't start that game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how, you know, how it all comes together with, with a, an energetic team, certainly that the A's have, and an energetic pitching that's as, as talented as any in the division.
good news or bad news, uh, the Dodgers schedule has just been put out on MLB Network. The A's will only take on the Dodgers, who are one of the favorites to win it all. They will take on the Dodgers just three times at Dodger Stadium, and that's it. Yep, that helps. So you're 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 looking at facing Kershaw and uh, and Bueller. I mean, that's a that's a challenge. And some people are are thinking out loud that the Dodgers could win over 40 games in the stretch. You know, just just on paper because they're such a good team, and now they've got the DH in their home ballpark, which only lengthens their offense. But they're minus David Price at the moment. You know, he's opted out, and we don't know how the rest of this will play out over the next, you know, three weeks on who will either test positive, who will have to go to quarantine, who will then still opt out because they're not, they're not satisfied with the way the protocols are moving forward. So there's still a lot of stories to be written off the field, let alone trying to get on the field. The Yankees are playing an inter-squad game that's being televised on the Yes Network tonight, and the A's aren't even on the field. You know, there are teams that are, like I said before, have not – uh, missed the beat. Their their protocols have gone smoothly. Where the A's, Angels, other teams, Astros, Nationals have all been interrupted. There has been no consistent positive flow. They're hoping they're getting to that, but it, it's not there yet. And I think that that will be a factor. And you know, we don't know about Mike Trout. You know, Mike Trout is he said all the right things when camp opened, but he certainly is fearful, and he has every right to feel this way with the you know awaiting the birth of his first child. And that's going to be a, a, you know, he has the weight of the league on his shoulders. This is the face of baseball. And yet this is something that's bigger than baseball. And he, he has to really come to, you know, an agreement within himself, with his family that he thinks is the best to move forward for 2020. It may, you know, it will definitely impact the race if he's not in it, certainly. And it'll be a, a stressful time even if he's in it and how he decides to play, you know, once his wife gives birth and how that moves forward. And a lot of people haven't mentioned this, but it's going on. You know, Canada, if you fly in from the United States, they want you to immediately quarantine for 14 days. So if that's the rule, how's it going to work for teams coming to play the Blue Jays? Right. I mean, I, I, I think it's safe to, to believe that this is moving forward with the idea that the governments will come to an agreement that they will find a way to waive those procedures based on the strict protocols upon entering the country with, you know, immediate testing, immediate temperature taking and, and so on and so forth. I think, I think they'll get through that. I don't think the blue Jays are going to end up playing in Dunedin or playing in Tampa Bay. It's a possibility, but I, I still think they'll, they'll get an opportunity to play, you know, in, in Toronto. And they've got, what is, isn't it Toronto? Is it Toronto and Edmonton that are the two hub cities for the NHL playoffs? So I think that's the case. And so they've got, you know, they've got other, you know, teams from the United States in the NHL that'll be coming into play and they've, they've got to they've got to carry through that as well. Yeah, I think everybody's watching baseball right now, you know, because before it was about economics. Now it's about the virus. And if you're the NBA or you're the NHL and especially the NFL, I mean, the NFL was acting like we're going full blown. They finally canceled two preseason games. So, if you know, if they do that, they now know, uh oh. I think everybody's watching baseball to see if they're even going to be able to play. Well, you see what's happening in Korea. I mean, they've done such a tremendous job of, of getting their season started and really having very few, if any, hiccups. Japan is, while they were a later starting season for them, they've, they've been able to kind of push forward. Now, these are two countries that, 
for years have been used to uh, the idea of wearing a mask for protection. And that's something that is so new here in our country, you know, like like wearing a seatbelt or, you know, no smoking in restaurants, these kinds of things that took a, such a long time for people to, to come to grips with. And that's where we are, you know, with masks. And it, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to, to fight the science that says, you know, wearing a mask helps. But it's just been it's been somewhat of a challenge for people to get on board with that and uh, hopeful that, you know, that that idea continues to move in a positive direction because we want the fans at the ballpark. Fans want to be at the ballpark. Fans are an important part of of how sport is played and how sport is followed and how it's a part of your, you know, your daily life. And and hopefully uh, these kinds of things will will take place. And I'm. I don't know if optimistic is the right word, but I am cautiously hopeful that maybe by the end of the season, maybe into September, there is a possibility of uh, some fans, a percentage allowed in the ballparks to to uh, begin that that push forward if, if they play and, and and get through this thing without the without a significant interruption. The NBA is already I mean, two or three camps already shut down the NBA before they even flew to Orlando. So. They've already got some issues before they've even gone together into, into their bubble uh, scenario. So they're, you're right. People are going to be watching baseball and, and see how they do this. Getting on the field and, and playing some games is, is going to be important. One thing that it still blows my mind, I don't remember it. People used to smoke on planes. <laughs> That's true. That. I mean, they smoke everywhere. It's just it's it's a different world now. But back then, when that was happening, and they were, you know, telling people not to do it. Uh, first of all, there wasn't social media, so every person that that has an issue with this seems to find themselves on some social media platform, and both sides of that argument come out and and have their opinions upon that, which further slows down that you know, which is the goal of getting all of us back to doing what we do as in any kind of normalcy that's going to be allowed us moving forward and we're not there yet we're just not uh, i mean i'm in a state that was you know close to last in terms of shutting down and and, and earliest to reopen and you you see the numbers of what's happened in in arizona and it's it's it's, it's a lot of division here in the state because you know the the target keeps on moving because of the way they handled it and that's a challenge all right, before we end, I've been asking everybody, you're inside, you're doing a deep dive on something, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or games or puzzles or what the Catronio household, what have you guys been doing? I think the main thing we have done, and this is uh, in part thanks to our son, Dominic, we have all become incredibly uh, competitive in the game of Catan. Uh, it's an old game from like 2005, 2006. It's a it's a game where you where you purchase uh, you purchase wheat and you purchase ore and you purchase wood and bricks and you're building cities and settlements and you have to get to a certain point total to win the game. You can play with as many as six players. Our son-in-law Troy doesn't want to play the game. He's not interested in playing. But the the, the actual Catronio family, myself, my wife Veronica, Dominic, Olivia, and Sophia. We're into it, man. We play it almost every night, and it, it gets pretty heated 
uh, you know, we've watched some Netflix stuff and we've watched some HBO stuff and, you know, watched the last game and all those kinds of things. Uh, but Catan is a thing that's really occupied uh, the Catronium household on a, on a consistent basis. I'm excited. I went and got fitted for the first time ever with Titleist for clubs. Okay. And my, my, my wedges have been delivered. My irons are on the way and I'm still waiting for my hybrid. Uh, but I got new sticks, new bag, and a new game coming out of COVID. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, that's what, you know, golf is essential in, here in Arizona. Dominic's never skipped a beat. He's playing Papago today. He works full-time at his golf course, and he's bought some new equipment. He bought me a new driver for Father's Day. So uh, I, I got my – I got fitted for some pings, you know, a couple of years ago for irons, and I've got a new Callaway Maverick driver, so we'll see how that goes. And I've been playing a lot, not very well, but – but anxious and thankful that, that we have that here to get us yeah. out of the house and get in the sunshine and hoping that uh, can do some of that once I get up there. Well, it's great to see you be safe with the family. Tell everyone I said hello. And uh, I can't wait to hear you and Ken on the radio calling A's baseball. Well, I appreciate you guys reaching out. Think about you often fingers are crossed that we all get together and, uh, and start smiling about the game of baseball again. We miss you Vinny B. Oh, by the way, I supposedly I'm gonna have a cardboard cutout of myself out at the treehouse. Come out at some point and say hello. <laughs> what if that guy will ever buy me a beer? Because the real Chris Townsend never did. <laughs> you take care. See you guys. Thanks for reaching out. Our next guest is truly one of our favorite players, turned media guy, turned writer, turned podcaster. The great Doug Glanville is with us here on A's Cast Live. It's always uh, we always appreciate the time and look forward to having you on. Yeah, it's been a blast. I've had a blast, you know. So thanks for bringing me back. And yeah, let's let's uh, let's figure this thing out, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Because you know, I think the first surprising thing was people thought more players were going to test positive. And I guess if you could take a positive out of this as we're getting started, less guys tested positive than they thought. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, been also some hiccups with testing and intake, and they're trying to sort it out. Uh, and, and we mentioned earlier the, the holiday, July 4th being, you know, part of it. But it's got to be this way. They're still figuring some things out. And because of the uncertainty of, of how this exactly works, how the virus acts in some ways, you know, you have these windows of time where negatives can be positive and you're just trying to uh, actually hone in on it. So they're, they're trying to be patient that with frequent testing and get as much uh, information as they can to keep everybody safe. And, and so, yeah, they'll probably have more setbacks, uh, but just hopefully that they're still on firm enough ground that they could play safely for everybody involved. You know, over the years, talking to executives, you know, they, 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 they get their team ready for the start of the year. Then they focus on the draft. Then it's the trading deadline. And then after, you know, the trading deadline and then the waiver wire process, there's really not much they can do and they just got to ride it out. I just think this year, general managers, presidents of baseball operations, whatever fancy title you have, you're going to have to do some serious work this year because it's so condensed. You can't allow your team to get off to a bad start. 
What are you going to do with a player who gets out to a bad start? You got all these guys on a taxi squad that what if they're playing well down there? I mean, the roster moves, how do, how do you see it? Roster moves for these front office guys in this quick 60 game season. Well, you know, I'd, I'd take a deck of cards and, you know, add, you know, a few more and just throw it up in the air and just like grab the first 30 guys. <laughs> I mean, it, it is that off the rails. Uh, because just imagine you start off poorly for two weeks. Or, you know, you can be traded, right? The trade deadline somewhere in the 60-game in the schedule. They have to make swift moves. It is no longer a marathon. It is a sprint. And they have to literally, a team like the Rays, for example, who love matchups, or the A's is a perfect example too. The matchups and the details, you're going to try to maximize every single matchup that you can because, you know, there's no days off here in the sense of, resting you got to get after it because you know as the nationals showed last year they were 19 and 31 after 50 games and where would they be in this kind of season so you're going to see a lot of action uh, a lot of moves a lot of changes and, and a lot of focus on matchups analytics and bullpen usage and that's why it's kind of anybody's game <laughs> right now uh, you know anybody could get out of the gate quickly and, and just get a commanding lead that someone can't catch them from and the schedule isn't fair, but you know what? Get over it. I mean, it's at, at some point, the, the schedule will favor you, whether it's how many games you play at home versus on the road. You know, like the A's got to go to Houston seven out of ten times. The Red Sox got to go to Yankee Stadium seven out of ten times. But it's like, is it fair? Well, it's hard to make anything fair in 60 games. But, you know, you got to go out there and get 27 outs it's just you got to go out and play and not worry about whether at what point the schedule is favoring you or not. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, you're, you, that's that's your job as a player. You, you know, you can't get caught up in all that because you never know who you match up well against. You might match up well in, in, against the Yankees or whatever team, and that becomes an advantage. I mean, you just don't know who you're going to be faced on a given day, uh, where it might play to your to your strength, lefty versus righty, whatever it may be. So I. I that would be a, a, a very poor use of energy for any team to worry about that. They just have to get out there and, and play and focus on the matchups. And, and because you just never know uh, how, how it's going to play out when you get onto the field. You know, we recently in baseball, we talked about the juice baseball and the home runs are going up. And do you see this in the 60 games? Does this favor the hitters? Or does this favor the pitchers, especially with all the extra levers at your disposal? Yeah, I'm going to lean towards the pitchers, just given that you have all these matchups. You have, you know, possibly new faces. And, you know, as a hitter, you get more comfortable with that familiarity in, in these matchups. And uh, so, you know, especially when you're a veteran player, right? you know, you've been, okay, I know this guy kind of, uh, you know, there's, there's a sense of familiarity that you get with, with rhythm, with repeat events. So that's, that's tricky, especially when they can, okay, third inning, we're going to bring this guy. I don't see a lot of pitchers going deep in the game for a while, if at all. You know, they already are, are going five innings plus barely anyway. So now with the fact that they have this weird spring training, I think you'll see a lot more pitchers go in these short starts, and that will preserve the, the analytical matchup. So, yeah, I say advantage pitcher, and you know we'll see how the home runs play out, but even so, anyone who can keep the ball in the ballpark is going to have a huge advantage uh, in this short season. You know, I've been reading around about other teams, and we're so worried about certain guys. 
uh, pitchers. I've been reading around how, oh, yeah, this guy got on the mound. He's already blowing 99 to 100 miles an hour. Right. <laughs> the game's just so different. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, the, the velo, right, the arms. And they know that they might only have to face a, a couple of batters, a few batters, you know. So, you know, and the three-batter rule, that was, you know, interesting development. So, that yeah, it's I, that's what's fun, though. Yeah, who knows? Who knows who's going to play well early? And by the way, you don't even know which players may end up opting out. You, they, you, know, you, know, you know, you don't wish it on anybody. You know, people may get sick, something changes, and then all of a sudden the heart of your lineup is gone. That's, not, that's going to change the complexion of any team. So sit tight and expect anything. And in some ways that can be fun. Uh, so uh, it also gives a lot of teams a chance that may not ordinarily have one. You know, I've had a running joke for years here saying that if I can't get on a Southwest flight and be to you with under three hours to your town, we shouldn't be in the same division. And that's right. why, yeah, that's why I, I, Houston and Texas should not be in the West. And your partner, Jason Stark, said yesterday on MLB Network that this could be the start of starting to look at really doing a realignment and cutting all the travel for the West Coast teams because they're, you've played in the East. It's a competitive advantage, less travel than the West, and maybe expansion to 32 teams. The way this is going to happen, the way everybody's going to kind of play each other in the West and the Central and the East, what do you think about that? Realignment? Maybe someday we don't have American League, National League. It could be completely different. I, I know for our fan base, if you're bringing in the Dodgers more, of course, bringing in the Giants, that's going to mean a hell of a lot more than the Rangers and the Astros. <laughs> yeah, well, let me tell you, man, I played for the Texas Rangers, and that travel was horrific. And it wasn't like the Mariners who flew to Puerto Rico or whatever that year. But, you know, you, you, you think, oh, yeah, the, the West starts in Texas. I mean, that, that's like halfway through the country, man. I mean, we were playing every trip was four hours, five hours. And the thing is, it's also so hot that we didn't play uh, we didn't play day games on getaway days so you imagine you're you play a night game you finish at whatever 11 o'clock because it's like 13 to 11 and then you get on a plane at one in the morning and you get into seattle at like six seven in the morning or something crazy so it, it, it was rough and and so what's interesting about this season is there is a lot of experimentation they're going to try things the dh whatever and i think there'll be things that are going to stick and, and especially with the geography of being in your, you know, sort of part of the state, the country, AL East, NL East, there's a lot of rivalry and potential there because it's so easy to travel. And then maybe you preserve that World Series or those playoffs for something special for people you hadn't seen all season, just like, you know, you know back in the day. So I, I believe a lot of stuff are going to percolate back to the, to the center of the sport in terms of... Uh, elements that are always entertaining for fans and in some ways efficient for travel also for players. Last year I was with the A's on a road trip and we're down in Anaheim. And as you know, Artie Moreno will not do a day game for getaway game because he's worried about the money. So by the time we left Anaheim to go to Texas, we arrive in Texas like almost at 4 a.m. in the morning. You got to play that 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 night. I mean, it's just the travel's brutal. I hope this is going to change it. Uh, when you start looking at this season, sixty games, we could see some stuff we've never seen before. What are you looking most forward to with these sixty games? 
I'm very interested in the, the strategic adjustment for each team uh, based on what they've done in the past 162 games. You know, it's going to be compelling to see what they do, what, you know, pinch running, pinching, defensive placement, shifts, bullpen usage, uh, lineup construction. I mean, all that's fair. It's all for a fair game right now. Anything can go. And you know how a lot of these teams come up with revolutionary ideas that start to become part of the culture. What's it going to be in 2020? Is it going to be the use of the defensive replacement? Is it going to be a, a weird kind of double switch with the DH or something? You know, I don't know. So all that is a fair game. And even the analytics that, they, that is used is going to look differently in a shortened schedule. Is it a, sh- a small sample size or can they really bet on it the next time they play that same team back in you know, September? So, I mean, all bets are off. So you have to figure out what uh, is going to create that advantage and most importantly, get out of the gate quickly. And, I mean, you'll see some really good teams start slowly and, and never recover. And, and that's what's probably exciting about, you know, what, what the Miami Marlins might do or something, because they know that, you know, Yankees or teams trip out of the gate and start off like 8-17. and 17. Their season is over. <laughs> it's over. Because remember, you, you know, you're playing in your division. You're going to have to beat each other up. And every time you lose a game, you're, you're losing a game of, of distance from, from uh, that, that position or first place. So yeah. you can fall out really quickly. Uh, you can get back quickly, but you can fall out quickly and, and may not see the light of day. Yeah, it feels so much like an NFL season to where one win really is like three wins. Or one yep. loss is really like three losses. It's like you go through like, I don't know, a three, four game losing streak. It's going to feel like death. I mean, it will because you could be in second place, play the division leader, go on a three, four game losing streak and then play them the next week and look up and you're eight games farther out from where you started there. Uh, that's how quickly it is. And, and, and that's why you're, I think you'll see a lot of real critical matchups. They're going to look every game. It's, you know, Dusty Baker was on our podcast. He said, you know, hey, when you had 162 games, you could pace certain things, rest a guy, do all these things. That's not on the table anymore. I mean, if Mike Trout plays, Mike Trout's playing 60 games. That's what's happening. You know? And so they're going to run people out there and, and, and make sure that they have the best situation for every possible scenario they can. We had Bob Kendrick on the program, the president of the Negro League Museum, as we're going to be celebrating the anniversary of the Negro League Museum. I've actually been there before, so I know a lot about it. And, you know, I was talking to him about, you know, one thing that's always bothered me is that, you know, we only celebrate really Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby, the Hall of Famer, great player. Uh, you know, what he did in that manager, you know, it's like we don't celebrate him. And he went through the exact same thing just weeks after Jackie Robinson in the American League. And we got talking and, you know, at this time where we are in this country, you know, baseball needs to step up and a lot of sports leagues need to step up. What do you think baseball can do to help the African-American community and hopefully get more African-American players and kids playing baseball again? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I wrote a column uh, that posted today on ESPN.com about that. I, I, I rattled off five things that I thought baseball could do. Uh, you know, and one of it is related to uh, the, the leadership component and the diversity of the leadership. There's you know, so many qualified candidates from all backgrounds, and they've made a lot of strides to try to unearth those qualified candidates. And, and that helps a lot because in the decision-making, you, you cut into that homogeneity 
where it's natural after a certain while, like, oh, I'm going to hire my friend who I went to Yale with or whatever. And these things kind of tend to perpetuate a, a narrow diversity set. So they're, they're looking at these things, uh, but there's so many other ways. I mean, how about analytics? We were just talking about that. You can use that, that technology, that science to really assess some of their other objectives that are socially driven, like having diversity, having inclusive policy, making sure that you're embracing and recognizing uh, what players of color are experiencing that you didn't realize because they weren't obvious, they were subtle. Uh, those things all play into creating an environment that really I, baseball should celebrate. It's a very diverse sport. And I enjoyed that aspect of learning from people from all over the place. I enjoyed playing with guys that you had a preconceived notion about because of their background or whatever. And then the season ends and you go, wow, that's the guy I want to give the ball to in the ninth inning. Uh, that, that's the best of sport. That's what sport can give us. And baseball can be in the, in the front of that because we, uh, it's a sport that, and all sports are obsessed with equity. They want it to be fair. They want the rules to be fair and applied across the board. Uh, that's a great way to start for what our country is striving for. And now, you know, certainly paying much more attention as it pertains to race. So all those would support uh, what I think could be a much better uh, a game if we really understood how to embrace all of us in, in so many different ways because we all have so much to offer. Are you going to be teaching this fall? I am. Uh, University of Connecticut, a course called Sport in Society, and uh, this will be my fourth semester teaching. Taught at Penn and Yale and now at UConn, so absolutely. And is it going to be all online? Uh, it, it will now, yes. They, they have the online because of, the, obviously, the circumstances. I taught last year, our semester was interrupted. It was, it was in class, and then it became online. Uh, but we cover how sports uh, influences our society. We look at the law. We look at economics. We look at media. We look at communications. We look at a lot of different ways, uh, even the political landscape. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a not stick to sports type of course. But you see how important sports have been. Because even now, as baseball is non-essential, we, we recognize the lessons of team is essential for our country right now. They are essential, I should say. And we, we need that reminder as much as possible. You are truly one of the most fascinating guys in our game. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah. Everything that you do, I don't know how you have all the time, but uh, <laughs> it is fascinating to follow your career. We always appreciate the time. And, and hopefully the next time we're talking – we're actually talking about games. Yeah, I hear you, man. It's always a pleasure, man. Thank you for the compliment. And, yes, let's, uh, let's get over this in baseball. Come on, you're right there. Uh, I'm very excited for, um, for some games. So, hopefully, cross our fingers, this happens. Well, you know he's one of our favorites. Whenever we get him, it's going to be a special time because no one's better in the business. Scott Emerson, one of the top pitching coaches in all of Major League Baseball and future radio guy someday when he decides to hang him up he will be in the booth i guarantee it emo it's great to hear your voice and especially not on the east coast but back on the west coast yeah i mean uh, we're excited uh, thanks for having me and uh, we're ready to get this thing rolling you know you've spent your entire life in baseball from a little kid to a professional uh in the big leagues what did it mean to you with this layoff to finally put that uniform back on? Oh, it was, uh, I mean, the first day when I got to the field, I went on the field to do my little exercise. And 
And, uh, you know, I can't say it was a snow angel, but I guess it was a grass angel. You know, I just laid on that great, beautiful Coliseum field and, and did a couple of grass angels. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you, sometimes you don't, you know, realize how important things are in your life until they're gone. And then when, you know, baseball leaves you for, for a while, you start thinking, man, what's going on. And then when you get it back, you just kind of remember, you know, what, what you love to do and, and, you know, what your you feel like your purpose is. You know, it was 4th of July and I was smoking ribs. And I was at my smoker and, and I'm sitting here going, what the hell am I doing? Why am I not working? I mean, it's like the first 4th of July, probably like 26, 27 years that I hadn't worked. It's just, it, it just, as time went on, it just kept getting worse and got odd. And it's like, you know, my purpose is to cover this game. I love this game. So as you said, you, you don't know what you have until you lose it. Do you get a sense from Bob Melvin all the way down through the coaches, through the players, just an appreciation to be back? Yeah, I think, you know, our, our guys are ready to ready to play baseball. You know, the, the focus is on, you know, staying healthy and keeping everybody healthy, but playing baseball. Uh, it, it's, it's been, you know, our workouts have been great. Uh, Ryan Christensen, our, our bench coach, puts the workouts together. You know, they're a little bit different because we're trying to, to uh, minimize the number of people on the field at the same time, which minimizes the number of people in the clubhouse at the same time just to use that as a precaution. And, uh, but, you know, you, you really, when you get down to it, you know, you, you look at this format and you're, you're, it's more one-on-one type stuff, you know? So, you know, when, when you get small groups of pitchers, four and five guys, you know, the communication takes a, a whole nother level. So I'm kind of liking it, even though you're out there a little bit longer at times, but these short little, uh, bursts with everybody is important because as a coach, you want to have that touch point with each player as often as you possibly can. So you could build that relationship and you can work together. So, you know, I think it's been interesting. Uh, you're learning a lot about the players because you're spending a little bit more, uh, one-on-one time with them because of the, uh, small groups. And, uh, you know, our, our guys are pretty focused. You know, at spring training, you have all these fields and you have all this space. Now you got the Coliseum. And I know there's batting cages behind center field. That's usually where the opposing team hits. Uh, fortunately for the Coliseum and the Raiders being gone, you guys can now creep up, not only have your old clubhouse, but now you can turn the Raiders locker room into a clubhouse just spacing with everything, with all these players and everything going on. How is that working with just having one field, the Coliseum? Well, the, the one field's been, you know, hasn't been bad because, like I said, we're, we're dividing up the groups. We're bringing them, bringing them in, in, uh, you know, uh, in groups. So, you know, the center field cage is being utilized. The other batting cage is being utilized. So then you've got. Uh, uh, base running going on during batting practice uh, early in uh, the first couple of days. We used both sides for bullpens. Uh, I took a group on one side, Marcus Jensen and uh, Ricky Rodriguez is here, our AAA pitching coach. They took another group on the, on the other side. Uh, so the spacing hasn't been bad. You know, you just, uh, just kind of when you're building that rotation in the, in the, in the practice plan that Ryan has built, you know, you got guys moving, 
Uh, you got guys going to the station to station. And, you know, like during the regular season when we start games, we don't have all these stations going on during batting practice. It's basically, you know, batting practice, uh, take your ground balls and maybe shag and head on in for the game. So, you know, with these extra rotations, the guys are getting their extra swings in in, in, in multiple cages. So I, I think it's gone uh, really well. You know, we have talked about this in the past, and I, I know when fans would listen to it, they probably go, these guys are nuts. But this is something that you and I the past couple of years have broken down because it, it could be the future of the game. And now with a 60-game schedule, you once said on this program that you want your pitchers to show up to the ballpark, be ready to go, and when he ask you to pitch, you get out and go and get some outs. And we've called it a positionless staff to where we don't say you're a starter, you're a middle reliever, you're a setup guy, you're a closer, just everybody show up ready to go and we call on you, we call on you. And if there was ever a time to have something like that, wouldn't this be the time? Well, yeah, you know, a 60-game sprint season, uh, you know, each and every game, uh, I don't – I think I heard the number was one win equals – you know, between 2.7 and three wins in 162 games. And so every win is important. Uh, but you, you also have to uh, realize, you know, if you're using so many pitchers in one game, you know, by the time you get to game three and four, you know, you got some worn out guys. I remember my first couple of years coaching in the rookie league. I had a manager named Woody Heike who had coached the rookie league. Uh, since 1971 and this was year 2000 and we always had Sundays off and he said every Thursday we're going to be out of pitching and sure enough it just seems like you know on Thursdays you're scrounging to look for arms to, to, to pitch that game so you know if the scenario is to use as many guys not let guys get through the lineup that many times you know, it might be good for two and three games, but once you get around four and five, then, then you're hurting and looking for, for your arms. So, you know, at, at some point in time, you would hope that you have five legitimate starters. You know, if you've got five legitimate starters, that's a game changer too, because that means the, your starters are going seven innings. You're saving your bullpen two innings. I mean, so it, it's, you know, it's just basically – how your pitching staff is built. And to be honest with you, you know, on paper, our pitching staff's built really well with the starters. But like I've, I've, I've said before, you know, the, the Pucks and the Lazardos, they haven't made those starts ever. So, you know, you're going to see some growing pains. And in, in those type instances, maybe you do something. But in the 60-game stretch, you know, you, 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 you could be a little bit more uh, – especially early when you have, uh, you know, maybe 15 or 16 pitchers. I don't know what the breakdown's going to be, but you can play captain hook a little bit earlier and, and uh, bring in some different guys. But also if the other team has 14 position players, they're going to play pinch hit early. So, I mean, it's, it's a whole different strategy. You got a feeling like every game is going to be a playoff game as a coach. And as you'd hope every game, anybody ever plays is a playoff game. I mean, there's not one uh, game in my life I can sit back and say I'm cruising here. You know, I went after everything I've done uh, to, to win, to bury you. That's just kind of how my mentality – now, I wasn't good enough. 
but if I'm playing you in ping pong, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm trying to win, you know? So, you know, my mentality, my mentality for these pitchers is, Hey man, this is, this is, you know, you know the most important part of the day is stretch. And then once you completed stretch, the most important part of the day is your throwing program. Once you completed throwing program, once most important part of the day is your warm up for the game. And then once you complete that, the most important part of your day is the game. So everything, everything in my opinion is important and you need to be paying attention to detail because that's what the great guys do. If you, you know, you watch the last dance and, and you, you think about the great players of the world in, in other sports or whatever, their relentlessness that they're going to bury you and, and they don't care if it's an exhibition game. So, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, playing wiffle ball like, against young kids and I, I'm letting it eat and I'm hitting homers because I'm not letting them lose because the day they beat me in wiffle ball, they're going to wear me out on it. You know, so everything, you know, that these guys do should have that mentality that everything that they do matters. And when you have that mindset and you have that mentality that every game you play for the rest of your career is a playoff game, you're playing with that intensity to win that game. And if you get the whole team doing that, I feel like you win more games. Emo, what you just said is like my golf game to a tee. I show up to the course, I get a breakfast burrito and a Bloody Mary, I then head out to the range. I mean, there's things you have to do if you're going to be great, right? Yeah. I mean, look, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not very good at golf and you know, I'm a high eighties, low nineties guy. I guess that's all right. Uh, but when I go play with my golf group, uh, I didn't play obviously during this whole, uh, uh, virus stuff, but in the off season, when I go play with them, I give it a hundred, you know, I go after it, but I don't, I don't go to the range. So if I shoot a 91, I'm not going, man, man, I'm never playing this golf game again. I hate that. No, because I know I didn't put the effort in to, to be great at golf. You know, if, if I want to score seventies and 72s and shoot that, that score, I need to commit to hitting bunker shots on the range. I need to commit to practicing my putting every day, but golf is, is is not that important to me uh, uh, to be relentless in, you know, but baseball is. And that's why, you know, uh, you put in the video work as a coach, you put in all the stuff after the games. And, and when you're at, at home, you're doing the extra work because you want to try to find a way to gain an advantage. And, and, you know, if I don't try to gain an advantage at home, doing the things at home, then how can I expect, our players to do that. So I'm hoping that the players try to gain an advantage in everything that they're doing. And that's why I always say uh, separation is preparation. You want to separate yourself from the field, you better prepare. So the young guns, you know, Jesus Lazardo obviously tested positive for COVID, but the good news, it sounds like he's asymptomatic. So it's not like he's going to lose his strength. And hopefully when he comes back, and takes a couple tests, and and uh, he doesn't test positive. He'll be ready to get back on the mound and get going. Uh, but AJ Puck, you know, when I left spring training, is right when he got shut down. How is the big left-hander right now? Oh, big left-hander is good. You know, he uh, threw a two-inning uh, little sim game the other day. So his next outing, uh, he's going to throw three, and we're just going to keep building him up. Uh, he's showing some good strength. Uh, 
you know, now's the time though, the buildup process is where the arm stamina comes in. You know, you gotta, you gotta be able to go, you know, a hundred pitches as a starter per se, or get up to that number, uh, you know, early on in, in the spring, like we talked about earlier, you know, you may have where the starters may only be built up to 60 pitches. So now you're playing a little bit of a, a, uh, a game early in the year and seeing what you could do because you're probably going to have to use multiple type long guys just to get to your bullpen. So, um, you know, but AJ, AJ's feeling strong. He's spinning his breaking balls really good. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of potential and, uh, you know, I'm excited to watch him pitch during the season. You know, one guy that we talk about who just seems so valuable because anytime you have something go on, where you lose one of the guys in the rotation. Here comes Chris Bassett to come right in and and fill in and do a great job. I've always liked his arm, you know, coming back from Tommy John, he had some issues, but you know, last year was the first time he really felt like he could let it go. And he felt like himself again, just how valuable is he as a guy that he can start for you. He can be a long guy for you. He'll do anything you want. I, I think it's, you know, it's really valuable. You got a, you know, a guy that can, can play multiple roles on your pitching staff, and uh, he's got the mental toughness now to do that. He's accepted who he is. Uh, you know, he's a valuable, valuable pitcher of our pitching staff. I, I think I've even made a statement to you uh, uh, on the show before that, you know, when he came up last year is when we really started. When he got healthy and he was available after his rehabs in, in uh, Vegas, that's when we took off as a team. He, he 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 is a great teammate. He's cheering for everybody, uh, and then he goes out and he competes. This guy goes out there and competes every game. And you know what? He takes accountability. You know, if, if he's if he's uh, making some mistakes, he he figures it out and goes out the next inning and corrects it. And the guys that you know are mature enough to have the discipline to do whatever they they when the phone rings and pitch whenever that phone rings and can take responsibilities for themselves, those guys just take their, their game to a higher level. And that's, that's what Chris Bassett did last year. I'm assuming, and just following guys on Twitter and knowing that guys have been out there throwing. And, you know, I talked to Sean Manai at one point, and he was out at the park throwing, but from your reliever standpoint, what have these guys looked like? Is it almost like they're ready to go? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, breaking it down in, in paper, you know, spring training games, uh, they usually get eight or nine games. And breaking this down, uh, some of these guys are going to face hitters, you know, five or six times. But they've already faced hitters before they got here, some guys, and they faced hitters in spring training. So it's, you know, basically what you got is, is you got uh, now the, the, the velo in some guys may not show up quite yet because of their intensity level, who they're throwing batting practice to when they were uh, when they were at their houses. And and some of them didn't get to throw some batting practices. They just uh, threw bullpens. And it's a whole different story when, you know, you come to this summer camp and Matt Chapman standing in there. And uh, Frankie Montas throws one ninety-eight. You know that's where, where he's where he's at the house throwing in a cage indoors, 
and he's facing a high school kid, and he, yeah, he's just gonna, yeah, you know, I'm just gonna throw it 93, 94. But the bragging rights of the clubhouse, these guys, the intensity starts to go up, and that's what you need a little bit is uh, you you need to face some big league hitters so that intensity goes up. Uh, but we we have seen some high velos out of some guys that that you would expect. And we've seen some good velos, but some velos that are just aren't there yet. But also, you know, the first time off the mound in Oakland, now you're wearing your uniform pants. Now you're in a structured day. Um, I think, you know, by the time you know, two weeks shows up, these guys are going to be you know, just as ready as they were for any other season to start. The starters stamina might be a little bit behind, but uh, I think the relievers are going to be fine. You know, whenever I hear summer camp, I think about your mom giving you sunscreen and a life preserver and, and a little brown bag with a peanut butter jelly sandwich, chips and orange slices. I just, that just cracks me up when I hear it's summer camp. Well, I never went to a summer camp. I was always playing baseball or basketball. And I mean, there, there was no uh, go to camp. There was no, there was, it was play, you know, and, you know, it was. This was the first Easter I've spent at my house since the seventh grade. You know, after the seventh grade, we didn't have a, my middle school team didn't have a uh, Easter tournament. Now you start in an eighth grade, you had an Easter tournament, and then in the ninth grade, you're in high school playing. You know, and uh, so summer camp. This is I, this could be my first summer camp. Did you see things grow around your house? that you've never seen grown before because you're never there at that time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know, dang, the, the yard needs to cut, get cut again. You know, it was just, uh, you know, it was an interesting, interesting time being at the house there in those times. Uh, you know, I kept asking my wife, I'm like, does it, do we have this many storms all the time? You know, we actually had a couple bad storms where, you know, I had some neighbors that had some big pine trees fall down and, and it was pretty scary. And I got, I got about 15 pine trees that are, that are 75 feet high and like eight feet around. So I got to start thinking about, man, do I need to cut these things down? It starts to, you know, when you, when you hear the crackling and the thunder and lightning and the wind, and you're looking outside and seeing these big pines sway, you start thinking, dang, this, is it always like this in the summertime? But it was fun. Let, let, let's end on this for the first time since you, you've been up with the big club with the A's, your traveling is going to be so different. You're not going to be going to the Midwest other than the Southwest taking on the Rangers and the Astros. No more East coast trips. I mean, cause you know, when you're an East coast team, you don't travel nearly close with the West coast teams. How nice is the travel going to be for this quick 60 game season? Well, I mean, just to stay in a relatively, uh, you know, we still got to go to the, the, the times of the two hour different time zone, but, uh, you know, the, the two and a half hour flights are, are a lot better than the five hour flights, but you know, I'm going to miss the East coast because, you know, I live on the East coast and I get to see some family, uh, throughout the course of the season, but you know, the other stuff, uh, it'll, it, it'll be exciting to, to get to play the Dodgers. It'd be exciting to see the Padres and see the uh, NL NL uh, West again. But you know, I think I saw where next year's schedule we're playing the NL West again. It doesn't make any sense to me, but uh, um, 
Yeah, it'll be exciting uh, to have a little bit less travel. Emo, you're the best. Be safe and uh, cannot wait for these things to get going because I know all Ace fans are chomping at the bit. We can't wait to watch a little baseball. Fans or no fans, uh, we're, we're expecting a great season from the A's. So we will, talk, we will talk to you soon. Be well. All right. Thanks for having me. Mark, how are you? Chris Townsend with Ace Cast Live. Hey, Tony. How's it going? Uh, life is good. You know, the last time I talked to you, uh, we were honoring you at the banquet, and then uh, you were rolling back to uh, Arizona, have the birth of your child. How'd it go? Yeah. Uh, it went well. Everything went well. My daughter was born about two months ago, and because of the quarantine, I got to spend, you know, I got to hang out with her for the first two months of her life, where, whereas I wouldn't have if we weren't playing baseball. So that's okay with me. Yeah, no doubt about that. You know, there's some things you, you take out of this as a real positive. And to think, you know, for you and what that means for your wife uh, and what that will mean for your daughter long term. But for you, you know, baseball players, you miss so much time. You miss all those special moments in life. This will truly be something you never forget, that you got to be there for such precious moments in your daughter's life. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty great. Um it's it's not often that we get you know summers off so it's a little different feel and um you know I'll, we'll always remember this these crazy times but i'll remember the extra time i have with my family so that's it's been great i uh, talked to scott emerson earlier today and he said when he got to the ballpark he like laid down on the grass and instead of doing like a snow angel he did like a grass <laughs> angel you know talking yeah. about how you know, I mean, your entire life you've been playing baseball and then all of a sudden now you're not playing baseball. What did it mean for you to get back to the Bay Area to put the uniform back on, to go out and see the green grass and and hit a couple balls over the wall? What was that like for you? Uh, it's just nice. It's it's nice to to be able to get back to what we're used to doing at this time and and uh yeah i think it was kind of the similar feeling of when at the beginning of the first spring training we had this year where it's just like everyone's got the itch everyone's wants to get back on the field and and uh you know i I feel like a little kid just running around at a park you know i feel like i'm just free yeah the joy i mean the joy that it brings to, to play the game that you guys love and to know how good your team is and it, it, I know for us, when we're talking about, wow, now you're adding the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres and the Rockies and, and, and the D-backs, and now you're not going back east. You're going to have less flights. When you found out this this was going to be a West Coast thing, what did you think about that? Um, I, I'm fine with it. I mean, I honestly, I think anything – we were willing to do anything to make the season work. And, and if this is the safe, the safest way to, to resume, then, then I'm glad we're doing it. You know, there's a great article in the athletic about you going back to school at Cal and doing uh, zoom schooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was, what was that like for you? I know uh, the teacher's a big A's fan, but yet at first uh, she's a, she's a ticket holder, but she's like, she didn't realize who exactly you, who you were. What was it like going back to school? Um, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. I, I actually, 
I do enjoy, I've, it's the second time I've gone back to school during my career. I went back in 16 too when I had a season ending injury. And it's it's always fun to go back just to kind of change up the routine a little bit and get back to studying on a regular basis and, and just doing all that stuff. It's um, when you do something that <laughs> doesn't sound like fun, I guess, but when you do something like baseball all the time where it doesn't require too much thinking at all it's it's nice to uh to change it up and sprinkle some some academics in there from time to time yeah school's got to be different when like you don't have to do it like i remember like you had to do it you have to get the degree you have to and then now you can kind of pick and choose you can do whatever you want and 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 tell us what you were studying and what you learned um I took a public health class and the, the class was basically on um, how it, a lot of it was on the healthcare in, in the United States. And it was just a lot about how health insurance works and how it's delivered and how it's financed and, and the kind of the political side of that as well. So uh, kind of all encompassing healthcare class and it was actually just the first class of a concentration where I started. So I think I'm thinking uh, my major is political economy. And I thinking I'm thinking now there's going to be a public health concentration to that. Well, I got to think it's, it's when you're doing that, it's great to keep your mind and talk about when you got hurt to keep your mind off, you know, not playing baseball, but now that mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're getting ready to go. Um, how much are you guys talking about, boys, we can't get off to a slow start. Man, this is a sprint to the finish line. Um, I don't know if we are talking about it per se. I think everyone knows that that's kind of there and how important that is because of how we started in the past. But I think everyone's just focused on on getting themselves ready and, and just kind of in the present moment and trying to um, – you know, get ourselves ready for, for what we need to do. It's no easy task. We got three weeks to to do what we normally do in, you know, a little bit longer time. So um, I think there's just emphasis on, on working hard and, and a lot of emphasis on staying healthy and and we're just staying on the task at hand. You know, for you, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we gave you that nickname, Duct Tape. You can play anywhere on the field, and uh, your defense is fantastic. Uh, going into the season, I don't know if you've talked to Bob or what, what do you think your role defensively is going to be to start out this year? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I have no idea. It's going to be probably – it's going to be center field or right field. Um I will, I just, typically I treat it like be ready to play both, be ready for a 50-50 split because honestly, you never know what's going to happen. There's always injuries and, and things, things happen. So I have to be ready for, for either situation. I know that I'm sure Bob knows that. And he, you know, this early in the game, you can't even tell someone, you know, like me what exactly is going to happen because you just don't know and and we prepare for all of it hey remember when it was odd everybody thought it was odd you were wearing a face mask back in the day actually you were you were a trendsetter 
Yeah. How about that? <laughs> I mean, MLB Network's talking about it. Like, why does he have a mask on? Hey, now there may be a lot more guys doing what you've been doing. Yeah. Well, and and they'll be warming themselves in, in a coastal Bay Area town as well. So you, you can kill two birds with one stone there. You set a good example and, uh, you know, stay warm. Hey, we always appreciate the time. You're one of our favorites on the A's, and it's great to hear your voice because we're just trying to bring on familiar voices for our fans that have pretty much been cooped up at home for a long, long time. And congratulations on the new baby and your family, and we can't wait to see you play a little baseball. Thanks, County. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.